hundreds of millions of thoughts that fly through our head every day. We don't have hundreds of millions of pieces of food that go into our bodies every day or hundreds of millions of cc's of water that go into our day, but the thoughts, it's hundreds of millions. And so if you start thinking from that perspective, our thoughts are critical to us being in a better state of health. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Yo, I am super pumped to share with you beekeepersnaturals.com. Now, if you heard episode 175 with founder and CEO Carly Stein, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are the highest quality bee products in the world from Beekeepers Naturals. Now, I've been using bee products for a long time. Back in the 90s, I was rocking like the bee pollen and, and you know, using kind of gourmet honey over the years and things like that. But until that interview, honestly, I had no idea of the superpowers and the variety of different bee products. So not only do these guys make the cleanest, most organic, most potent bee products, they also have the widest variety of products. So whether it's propolis, which helps you with the immune system, um, soothing scratchy throats, it's really potent stuff, or the bee pollen, which is a superfood with vitamins and nutrients and gives you energy. It has amino acids and protein, whether it's the raw honey, the royal jelly. Uh, they even have a tonic for your brain. I mean, they have a lot of great products over there. So if you're not hip to the power of bee products as a superfood, I want to highly recommend that you get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. And honestly, if you want to just learn all about bees in the industry and how it's done and how it's done right for ecology and for the environment, definitely go back and listen to episode 175. It's a, it's a great episode and the founder, Carly, is just brilliant and she's running a really great operation over there. So I'm very happy to support them on the show. And uh, like all the stuff I always talk about, I use them every day. In fact, I use it too much because I run out of it. Like when I interviewed her, I was like, so I do like a couple tablespoons of the bee powered, which is the really potent one that combines all of the superfoods in the hive into one product. She's like, dude, the dose for that is half a teaspoon once a day. You're tripping. But, you know, I'm hardcore because uh, it just tastes delicious and it gives you like instant energy. So definitely get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. When you're there, if you enter the code LIFESTYLIST, that's one word, LIFESTYLIST, you'll save 15% off your order. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST. This plug is so easy to do because I love chocolate. I love this product called Cacao Bliss. So this podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product, from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. This is guilt-free decadence with the purest cacao on the planet. You know, cacao is the bliss molecule, right? So this drink is an amazing superfood blend that gives you natural energy, mental clarity, and also reduces inflammation. So this is like having a dessert that's good for you. And not only that, it's paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian all at once. I mean, how do you even do that? 
For the past eight years, Earth Echo has been a leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide, including yours truly. Now, the reason I love Cacao Bliss is because of the ingredient deck, the sourcing and the combination of everything in it, right? It's got Himalayan salt, which has got 84 minerals and trace elements. It's got mesquite. It's really sweet, nutty superfood. It's got lacuma, which adds a hint of caramel-like flavor and has wound healing properties. Coconut nectar, which is a great prebiotic. Monk fruit, which doesn't spike your blood sugar, but satisfies your sweet tooth. Cinnamon to improve your body's ability to digest glucose and reduce your desire for sugary treats. MCT powder to help you feel satiated longer. It's a really healthy fat fills you up and black pepper to maximize the results and bioavailability of the turmeric. And then of course, the ceremony grade raw cacao. So this is a fantastic product called Cacao Bliss. You can get yourself some over at earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. That's earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. If you want to hook up 15%, I got it for you. The code is luke15 at earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. As I launch into today's episode, I hope to God this one doesn't get me banned from the internet. (laughs) It's just a message that I felt I needed to deliver. And that is COVID tyranny exposed, fighting for medical truth and freedom with Dr. Rashid Buttar, a true warrior for your health. Now, this episode was recorded at Cuixmala in Jalisco, Mexico, in preparation for our upcoming Healing Power of Energy Retreat, January 30th through February 6th, 2021 where I'll be joining Dr. Buttar, Jerry Rivera of the Rasha, and next week's guest, Robert Slovak. So come hang out with us by going to lukestory.com slash events. Man, I'm excited to get back on some planes, do some public speaking, hang out with the listeners, hang out with the amazing co-hosts, and uh, just get down. Let's go to lukestory.com slash events if you want to come keep it real with us in person. Now, before I jump into this, I want to let you know that you can get more context and science and data to support this conversation on episode 276 called Plandemic Power Play, Challenging the Media and Big Pharma Virus Narrative, where Dr. Buttar first broke the story of the COVID hoax. And by COVID hoax, I mean a story that has not been complete or honest. So my hat's off to you and my heart's out to you, to anyone who's had a loved one or close friend or associate fall ill to any virus, whether it was this one or any other. The fact is, though, as we've watched our God-given freedoms be stripped away in 2020, it's critical that we all have the courage to speak out and demand truth regarding this so-called pandemic. While I'm not certain at this point what the actual danger of the virus is, it has become painfully obvious that we've been lied to and that the cost we've paid due to the world government's reaction to this issue has been far greater than any virus, including this one itself. I'm talking about the thousands of lives who've been ruined by having their businesses shut down, the lives lost to suicide, domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, and overdoses, the division between the maskers and the no maskers, and overall chaos that has ensued due to this issue cannot be justified by the fake case reporting and inaccurate testing. This is my opinion, and I'm going to reserve the right to speak my truth. In my view, this is a power grab by the establishment and a test of our sheepish compliance. And many of us, unfortunately, are failing that test. As sovereign beings, we each have the right to think critically and to ask questions. So why are doctors, scientists, and citizens 
were intelligent and brave enough to question the narrative being silenced. I want to encourage you to use your voice by sharing this episode far and wide before it gets censored. I'm willing to take the arrows to ask questions, and I hope you are too. So now it's time to open your mind, suspend what you think you know about COVID and the medical system, and consider the idea that there might be another side to this story. Enjoy the show. So, uh, Dr. Buttar, welcome back to the show. Thank you. We're here at, of course, uh, lovely Quixmala in Jalisco, Mexico, the uh, mother of all beauty. Uh, we were talking before we started recording. We've been, for those listening, we've been hanging out for the past couple of days and having some meals and things like that. But I was telling you how you have the distinction of being my one and only YouTube interview to be deleted as whatever it was, offensive, misinformation, false information. Inappropriate. Inappropriate That's what they said. They call it inappropriate content. <laughs> right. That's the official uh, narrative anymore. Because we dare discuss the forbidden topics. Yeah. I think what it was is I had the... Uh, it was before the film Plandemic had come out, and I used that word in the title, and they did not like that, because once that film got yanked from YouTube, then their bots or whatever started scanning for that word, even though it was not that film. So, Well, the Plandemic movie, the, they were going to release it in series, and that's the last time I was actually in LA was when, for that movie. So since you brought it up, I think it's, it's being released in 24 hours. Oh, next, cool. Which is going to be the whole movie now, instead of the serial portions. They're releasing the whole thing. Oh, nice. So by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be out. Probably, yeah. Yeah, Amazing. 24, 36 hours. Oh, cool. They had a time clock and I don't remember exactly when it was, but... Awesome. Yeah. So speaking of which, uh, you're an outspoken doctor who doesn't seem to give any shits about what people think of you and your opinions, which I find very admirable. And uh, you seem to be increasingly being censored what's the status on your various social media channels right now well they're growing constantly but despite whatever growth we can see we know that the growth was exponentially higher and it was being it's being censored because i'm getting hundreds if not thousands of screenshots and messages ranging from please don't unsubscribe me to why am i being unsubscribed to uh, I can't see this post from you know people from all over the world, including my own son. You know, he's like, Dad, I can't see this post. You know, what? I told him, Abby, you may like this post. He's like, I can't see the post, and then he sends me a screenshot and says, "Post unavailable." So it's just stuff like that, and it's predominantly on on uh, Facebook has been pretty bad all along. But um, we have our own organization, private association called the International Association for a Disease Free World, IADFW for short. And that group has over 10,000 paid members. And it's a private Facebook group. And I was censored almost two months ago from my own group. So I can't even post on my own private Facebook group. Wow. Yeah, so uh, wow. so we've, we've been working on you know, circumventing Facebook for some time. But Instagram and YouTube, uh, certainly. Twitter hasn't really done too much. Uh, it's actually my smallest account too. But it's, uh, it hasn't really done that much against me. But... But YouTube has definitely been censoring. Yeah, Twitter seems to be um, most active in censorship for political topics. Mm. Like if you're not 
radically left and you're active on Twitter, you're probably going to get censored yeah. from what I've noticed, you know, yeah. uh, whereas the other ones tend to go after the medical, especially Facebook. They seem to really, there's something behind that organization that's very tied into big pharma or something. And they get super pissed when you're presenting, you know, alternative points of view. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and YouTube I, and Google are, are part of the pharmaceutical industry now anyway. So, right. Yeah. So, it's one of those things where, you know, we're all still kind of playing along because we're able to get our message out to a certain degree. But I would think at some point in, in a unified way, people are just all going to have to jump ship and just those platforms are going to become the next MySpace. Yeah. Right. And we're yeah. going to be like, ha ha ha. Remember when Facebook killed themselves? Yeah. Remember when YouTube killed themselves? Yeah. Because, uh, and I want to get your take on this, but it seems now, you know, because the political climate, the social climate, medical climate, is so disruptive at this moment because the agenda that we're going to be discussing today is pushing so hard. I'm finding even people that would have been more moderate are becoming aware of alternative points of view. Very much so. Right? So it's it's this ricochet effect, I think, of the powers that be where they've pushed so hard that even regular normal people are kind of like, wait, what? Yeah. This isn't making sense. It's a very true statement because YouGov came out with a poll on... Yahoo just a few days ago, and they said that the coronavirus poll that they were taking hit a new low for people, for Americans that were going to take the vaccine. It dropped down to 42% of Americans are now planning on taking the vaccine, which is an all-time low. Um, Back in March, April, it was in the high 80%. So, I mean, it's a pretty dramatic change when you start to look at the number of people that are saying, I'm not going to take the vaccine now. And as more people have become aware, the system has pushed back, trying to make it even more extreme. It's almost like a death struggle. You know, when an animal is about to die, it struggles the, the most extreme. And I think this is what's happening. They're, they're in their final death struggle and they know that they're not going to survive it. Like the stupid draconian types of things that the airlines are not doing. They're, they're now no longer allowing for exemptions, medical exemptions. But now I was told on August 19th, they're going to start regulating the type of masks, you know, without the valves. And I know you and the story that we talked about with the deuterium depleted masks that you were talking about. So, you know, when, when you start get looking at that extreme, at some point, somebody's just going to, you know, lash out. There, there, it's not going to be a discussion. Somebody's going to punch somebody in the face and probably on a bigger level. And when I say punch somebody in the face, I mean like a lawsuit. Can you imagine people being told that there's no medical exemption? There was a woman on American Airlines that said she had a medical exemption. They refuted it. She had to get on the flight. Little old lady, she went ahead and got on. They forced her to wear a face mask. She ends up having a seizure on the plane. And then they kicked her off the plane for having a seizure. Now, it just takes one or two people. And I'm, I'm going to put this out in my social media platform. I, I challenge you to do the same. And anybody else that's listening, find people that have been on an airline that have had a medical exemption the airlines insisted that they wear a face mask because remember the FAA has already said they're not going to mandate that. So the American, the the airlines right now, American Airlines, Delta, United, they're on their own right now. All it's going to take is one or two people to file a lawsuit, start a class action, and we could own the airlines, literally, because that's like assault. Okay. That, it would be very hard for them to prove that they knowingly, I mean, how are you going to disprove this? Somebody says, I have a medical exemption. You say, no, we don't honor a medical exemption. FAA says they're not going to mandate this. 
the last thing they want is something like this to go to court. Why? Because as soon as it goes to court, now you got discovery and now the real science and literature and data numbers are going to come out. Besides taking the airline industry down, it'll take, you know, it'll, it'll expose the whole facade. Of course, mainstream media is not going to cover it, but we don't need mainstream media anymore. I think we've realized people through their social media platforms, through other alternative sources of information dissemination will get that word out. So if anybody has information on anyone that has been injured or that has had a reaction or some type of detrimental effect, being on a plane and being told that they have to wear a face mask, you know, let's get that data together. We just, remember what happened with the, with the um, cigarette industry, right? A cigarette a day will keep the doctor away. And when people talk about the negative effects of cigarettes, people ridicule them. And then what happened? Finally, somebody took it to court. And now you have to have the certain general's warnings on cigarettes. Look at glyphosate. Oh, it's, it's, it's safe. It's safe. It's safe. Finally, somebody took it to court. And this is what happened. This is going to be a much, much shorter uh, timescale. And we can certainly do that. We just got to get the word out there. Yeah, I think that's really important, uh, you know, especially due to the fact that human beings seem to be so short-sighted. You know, when you, you mentioned the tobacco, you know, looking back at leaded paint and leaded gasoline, mm-hmm. asbestos, you know, all of these just monumental failures of, uh, <laughs> of ingenuity right? Where at the time you have a couple of people going, I don't know about this and everyone stifles their voice. And then eventually as time, and I think with this issue now, and as we were discussing last night, 5G and everyone thinks, you know, yeah, I want faster movies. Okay. Well, let's talk in 50 years when there's no more bees. And yeah. as a result, no more people, you know, it's like, ah, sometimes it's frustrating when you have a little bit of knowledge and foresight and you do you know, some forward thinking like that. And so thank God we still have some vestige of hope in social media to get messages like this out, which is why I do what I do, why you do what you do. Uh, Before we jump into current events, I think for people, you know, your channel seemed to have blown up exponentially over the past few months. And um, I think many people know you from the issues that we're talking about right now moving forward. But you, of course, have a long history of medical activism and being counter-narrative in terms of the medical industry and wellness in general. So I'd like to just kind of back up and allow people to get to know you a bit. So uh, I know you were in the military and then you became an MD. At what point did you start to become aware of and shift into more alternative therapies and kind of breaking free from the existing paradigm? Well, first, Luke, um, I appreciate you going back and recognizing that aspect that I had a life before COVID. So I appreciate that. Uh, I'm not an MD, I'm a DO. Oh, okay. Yeah, I uh, did my formal training in general surgery at Brook Army Medical Center at Fort Sam uh, in San Antonio, Texas. Um, spent uh, a lot of time in the emergency rooms. I was, my last duty station with the military was, uh, I was a chief of the emergency medicine services at Moncrief Army Community Hospital in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And uh, while I was the ER director there and also my previous post on the same post, but uh, I was a chief of PES, my reputation among the doctors and among many of the staff was that I was more, and they labeled it alternative. And I've never liked that term. You know, when you think of a highway and you have an alternative route because the highway is blocked, you you go down some dirt path and go across some freaking creek bed and then you come back up and you know it's, it's always a secondary, less desired option. To me, what we do is advanced medicine. It should be the high avenue of approach. It's, it's the first thing. And if that doesn't work, then you resort back to the 
other things that conventionally are done. So that's how my mind has always worked. But back then, I was a conventionally trained doctor. I was, you know, um, dealing with uh, soldiers that were sick or that had experienced some form of trauma or whatever the case was. And uh, we also had a lot of retired people that would come in or family members of active duty soldiers that were stationed there that would come into the ER. And then we also covered backup for, this was in Columbia, South Carolina. So for the city, we also covered as a backup for trauma. So if there was a mass cash type situation, even though the civilian population was not supposed to be taken care of in the military, they would be a backup for trauma situations. And so in that community, my reputation became that I was an alternative-minded doc. In other words, I would do things and suggest things possibly that may work outside. And um, I, I was uh, involved. I was, at that time, pretty fit. And I was you know, pretty active with the military and, and was doing natural bodybuilding. I'd, when I got out of college, I played football in college. So I was always kind of like nutritionally oriented. You know, people talk about bodybuilding, bodybuilding, well, 75, 80% of bodybuilding is actually nutrition. And so I was always nutritionally oriented, doing things that made sense as opposed to not making sense. For example, somebody has diarrhea, what's the doctor do? He gives you a medicine to stop the diarrhea. And those that are in the alternative field will give you a natural substance to stop the diarrhea. And to me, it's like, it's idiotic either way. Why are you stopping diarrhea? Diarrhea is the physiological response that the creator, the ultimate engineer came up with to make sure that if we have something that's irritating our system, we expel it through the diarrhea. And if that doesn't work, then we, you know, we'll, we'll vomit. But doctors will prescribe Lamotil to stop the diarrhea, Phenergan to stop the uh, vomiting. And it basically supersedes the ultimate engineer's design. So to me, if somebody gets diarrhea, that tells you that you need to facilitate that expelling. The only time I'll ever treat diarrhea to stop it was when I had soldiers that were tactical. Like when I was in Korea, you know, they're going out into the DMZ for their patrols. Well, you know, you don't want to get shot just because you're having to squat and take a, you know, <laughs> do your business. But that's the only time. And otherwise, you facilitate the diarrhea. You, you don't give anything to stop it. You hydrate the person and you support them. <clears throat> or... You know, maybe a more common example, that, that's a really common example, I guess, but a more, more common example that people probably have experienced are, are like when you're dealing with the drugs like Tagamet and Zantac, the H2 blockers. So people will eat a lot of food or they'll be obese or whatever, and they end up getting the regurge, the gastroesophageal reflux. And they go to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, well, take this caraphate or some type of like Pepto-Bismol. And it coats the stomach and reduces the acidity in the stomach. And you get some relief and then you think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm good now. But two, three weeks later, maybe two, three months later, that Pepto-Bismol or the Caraphate won't work anymore. And so now you go back to the doctor and he prescribes an H2 blocker. And so now you take the H2 blocker, it blocks the acid production, person feels better, get a false sense of security. But now what happens inside the body? The body says, you know, the pH inside the stomach is supposed to be a pH of one. They'll eat the copper right off a penny. And the stomach says, uh-oh, pH is becoming more alkaline. We don't want it to become alkaline because that acid pH is designed to, one, protect the system because everything that we're eating, right, it's got bacteria and everything on it, so when we eat it, it basically sterilizes everything. That's one. So it's a mechanism of protection, but also it helps to digest the food. 
Now, if you have that pH becoming more alkaline, the stomach is no longer doing what it's supposed to be doing. So the stomach being designed by the ultimate engineer, not by idiotic humans, the system says, "Uh uh-oh, pH is going up. We need to decrease it, drop it back down to one. So it kicks in the parietal cells. The parietal cells are the part that make the hydrochloric acid. So they start working overtime to make more hydrochloric acid. So now you've got the H2 blockers that are blocking it temporarily, but then the body goes into a compensatory response and starts kicking out more acid. Okay, so now three weeks, four weeks, two months, three months later, the burn starts now, but it's getting worse. So now they say, hmm, H2 blockers aren't working anymore. Let's put you on an acid pump inhibitor. So they put you in Prilosec or something like that. Now that's preventing the system from making any acid. So the body goes into massive overdrive and starts throwing out so much acid to compensate the drug. And that's when you develop the ulcers and all these other problems. Whereas the solution, all it was when you have a little bit of reflux, loosen your belt, start working out, take some digestive enzymes, and boom, it's all gone. But we as humans think that we know what we're doing, and so we start to stick our idiotic brains into the, into the system and try to interfere. The body has an innate mechanism of healing itself. We have over 100,000 reactions per second per cell in our bodies. Now, you think that any doctor, researcher, scientist knows what the implications of block... They may be smart enough to know what the implication of blocking that first reaction, maybe even the second reaction. But what about the other 99,998 other reactions that are going on, plus the next 100,000 in the next second? They don't know. And to think that we know, we are the most pompous, arrogant species that have ever lived on the planet. And I'm, I'm surprised... That, you know, at at some points, I know that my followers are probably going to be really upset at hearing this, but at some points I've questioned that maybe Gates is right. Maybe we do need to be called down because we're (laughs) too stupid to be alive because we do so many stupid things. And then we wonder, right? Right. I mean, going around wearing a face mask and then telling people, it's like, my God, don't you understand what history, those who, I mean, how many times have we all heard this? Those who um, don't learn history are destined to repeat it. It's only been, what, 75 years? Let's see, quick math, 65, 70, 85 years? The right No, 75 years. 75 years since World War II ended, right? 1945, 1946 time frame? Yeah. It's not even been 100 freaking years, and we're repeating the same nonsense we did then. And they're clueless. People are just clueless. They walk around, you know, trying to shame each other. I had a lady tell me, she says, when somebody uh, looks at me with a bad look, you know, like giving me a dirty look because I'm not wearing a face mask, she goes, I yell back at him and say, stop looking at me, you Nazi. And she goes, back <laughs> off. So that's, that was good. I that's like that. That's a good strategy. approach. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good approach. So, so you started to, I guess, just think more critically and observe things from a bit more zoomed out point of view and thus exploring these different realms of, of practice and potential. Yeah, I, I think you could probably say that, you know, um, just recently, my significant other, Dr. Ashton, had said something about critical thinking. And she made a post about it. And I was like, you know, I'm not picky. Uh, I'll just take thinking. You don't have to be critical thinking. Just start thinking. <laughs> and who, who cares what you're critically thinking? Because at this point, all we have to do is start thinking. We have to ask the questions, right? And, yeah. and my goal has always been to just get a person to ask a question. So the, the videos that really went crazy were the videos. The first one I put out, it was six videos I put out. And it was called COVID-19 conspiracy question mark. It was a question I was asking. Is this a conspiracy? That's all it was. It was never, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going out there and preaching or anything like that. I just, I just, 
one of my patients asked a question, then another one, then another one. And so then I just put out on social media, you know, if you, if you guys really want the answer, let me know. And, you know, if you guys want me to put a video, I'll make a video about it. And just as a joke, I put down, you know, it's got to be like, I don't know, remember what I said, 100 or 500, you know, yeses. And I had like 800 responses within like 12 hours. Yes, yes, yes. So I was like, okay, then I decided before I put out, I needed to buy some more time. So I put out the second video, which was, are you sure you could handle the truth? If the first one was, do you want the truth? And the second one was, are you sure you could handle the truth? And then we just made the first video, the COVID-19 conspiracy question mark, where we asked the question, is that, you know, what, what are the facts and what's the fiction? And that's, that's how it started. And I think the reason the videos became so popular was because um, I wasn't making a statement. I was asking the question and then I was supporting the answer with what I had found. And I gave all the things that I found. And there were people that attacked me on social media. I mean, less than 1% of the people, which according to my son, he said, that's really good when you have only 1% of the people attacking you um, because I'm, I'm known to be a polarizing agent. So he said, that's the one good thing. He said, I'm amazed by it. And other people have told me the same thing. But the, the people that have attacked me, it's so funny when you read, I mean, they're definitely paid trolls or they're just illiterate or they're, or they're blind because they'll say, well, this, none of this was based on science. And I'm like, I just showed you the nature article. I showed you the, you know, I mean, it, all the studies are there. That's what I'm showing. I'm showing the actual studies. I know you've had similar types of things where they've fact-checked you when you've actually showed the study. So now that, those are the kind of questions that we have to ask. Why is somebody fact-checking something when you can see the science in front of you? They're now telling you that no longer do you not question the narrative. You have to now no longer question your own eyes and your own ears. It doesn't matter what you're seeing or what you're hearing. Your brain is not reliable. You cannot register the facts. We, the fact checkers, will tell you what you're actually seeing and what you're hearing. That sky is not blue, okay? It, it could be a hue of aqua. It could be this, but it's not blue. Whatever it is, it's not blue. It's brown. It could be red, but it's not blue. And if somebody says it's blue, hey, it's going to be fact checked. It's that ridiculous. And I think, as we said before we started the recording, I think people are starting to figure out that there's something that doesn't smell right. And... Um, it's sad because it's taken a, a, a huge toll. And I'm not talking about a toll from the lives that were lost supposedly to COVID, but the lives of people that have died from suicide, that have died from, um, you know, going to, not going to hospitals because they were afraid of catching COVID or not going to hospitals because they were afraid of contributing to an already overtaxed medical system because they didn't want to take away resources from hospitals that were supposedly paralyzed with the COVID epidemic, and yet there was nobody in the hospitals. I mean, I don't know whether you heard about the Brazil hospital. They were talking about 5,000 COVID patients. And it was, you know, mass catastrophe. But the parliament of Brazil, because the Brazilian president hasn't been buying into this, this garbage, and somebody from parliament, they sent an the police, and they barged into the hospital. They tried to prevent them to come into the hospital. When they barged in, there wasn't a single COVID-19 patient. In fact, there wasn't a single patient period in the hospital. They were closed for renovations, yet they were telling everybody that they had over 5,000 patients that were COVID-19. So this type of misinformation, and again, why isn't anybody talking about it? Why isn't the media covering it? Why is the media covering staged sessions where COVID-19 patients are coming in to be tested, but they're all actors. And then they're exposed to it, right? Uh, where where the, they don't think the cameras are running anymore. And 
they're interviewing a nurse and the nurse says, well, you know, the problem was we actually had two real patients out of the hundred that came through. So we had to kind of like make sure that we're, it's that type of ridiculousness, right? Or yeah. during the presidential uh, briefings where the media is attacking the president because he's not wearing a mask. Then the press conference is over. Cameras are shut off, but there's once they're rolling and you see all the media taking <laughs> off their own face masks. That was a good video. Yeah. That, I, I love when they get busted like that. You know, that precocious, uh, rebellious part of it. It's like, ah, I gotcha, busted. But yeah, the, the hospital videos were some of the most compelling. And you have these, you know, on the website, uh, questioningcovid.com. It's, it's an amazing, you know, just collection of doctors, scientists, nurses, et cetera, just going, uh, this is what we're seeing. And there's so many videos of even medical staff and practitioners going, hey man, this unit is empty. Mm -hmm. You know, and on the other hand, I also, this is what's weird about it. I also know, you know, in a second or third hand way, people that are, you know, like uh, have a family member that's a nurse and they're working in a COVID unit wherever in New York City. And they're like, oh yeah, there's tons of COVID cases in here. People are really sick and having all these respiratory problems. Yeah, but, so. but you got to be really careful, Luke, because these are people. So you always, you can have a hundred people yeah. and you'll always have 10% that have, you know, it's the first time they've gotten any limelight and they're going to further. It's like, it's like the kid who got his ass beat in high school because he was just a dirt bag. And then he becomes a cop and he's just going to be an ass to everybody. Because he's got a chip on his shoulder. Right. Because you have, you have that type of issue. Now, I'm not saying everybody's like that, but my point is you give people a little bit of information and they will run with that misinformation and think that that's it. I'll give you a perfect example. So uh, we get a video. So one of her colleagues, Dr. Ashton's colleagues, uh, a, a, another doctor somewhere, an ER doc, sends her a message about how burdensome the ER is with COVID patients, Right. So she knows him. She's exchanging. And so she brings me this video and she says, he just sent this video to me about how burdened their ER is. I look at this. Now I've got over 12,000 hours of documented ER time. And I've got probably just as much undocumented, but I've spent a lot of time in, in ERs plus trauma medicine. I was an instructor with the Advanced Trauma Life Support course for the American, through the American College of Surgeons, teaching doctors how to take care of trauma. I know trauma. I'm looking at this video of this busy ER and the slowest ER I've ever worked at, okay? I mean, that, I mean, the slowest one was slower than what, what, what was, um, when I compared it to what I was watching, I've never seen an ER that slow. It was just, you know, that was, a, uh, to me, when I'm looking at this ER, I'm going, what the hell? It's like, it's like nobody's even doing anything. There. You see a bunch of patients standing there and sitting and, some nurses walking by. And I mean, I'm used to like seeing, you know, all hell break loose and crap flying everywhere. And just, so I'm looking at this going, I, the slowest ER was busier than what I'm seeing here. That doesn't make any sense. And I tell her that. So she, I said, ask him, is this average for your ER? Because I'm thinking this is a freaking slow ER. And he's posting it like this is a busy, you know, COVID situation. So she responds. And he comes back and response comes back, well, actually, that's not my ER. Oh. That's a friend's ER. So now he's posting a video of a busy ER, which is so damn slow, and it's not even his ER. So I said, well, ask him, how's his ER? And his response was, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, we've been doing some construction right now. So it's actually not the normal. <laughs> so, so they're just promoting bullshit is what yeah, they're doing. Yeah. They're, not even, they're not even looking at the real facts. I have over 7,800 doctors 
just in the last three months, actually, this is probably a month old information. It's probably over 8,000, 9,000 now at this point that have started following me recently when London Real asked me to be on the, the second time. He, he said, you know, it'd be nice if we could get a couple of doctors. I said, what, what do you mean by a couple? He said, I don't know, you know, a hundred. Can you do a hundred? I was like, we can do whatever. And we actually had 166 doctors. We would have had over 250. Uh, we just didn't expect that many doctors to respond. Um, but when I got on there at 15 minutes before the hour, I couldn't get on the Zoom call because they, had, they were maxed out for a hundred meetings. And so they had to do a whole bunch of other stuff. And like two minutes before going live, they opened up for more spaces. And I was getting my phone blowing up from doctors saying that I can't get on. I can't. For 25 minutes before, they couldn't get on. So a lot of them had stopped trying. But two minutes before they got me on, and from that two minutes till, the, till noon when it hit, when we were supposed to go, in two minutes, we went from 100 to 166 doctors on that call. And so, and you know, you've probably seen the footage. Uh, I think the pandemic people are going to be airing some of that too. So the point is this, uh, there's hundreds, if not thousands of, well, I know it's thousands actually, it's over 7,800 of them are following me alone worldwide that are like, this is ridiculous. This is bullshit. This is just garbage. Every aspect of infectious disease, every aspect of, of medicine, of science, of every basic concept of virology is being completely ignored. It's just being completely ignored. Is this thing touching my face? Is this making it? I don't know. What oh, you're make, good. Is it good? Okay. Yeah, you're fine. So anyway, I just think that uh, at some point, you know, people are going to hit that critical mass. And I think we've already hit it actually, because now the momentum is really going crazy and and you can see the, the you can see the opposition's pushback as a indirect measurement of how successful our message has been getting out there. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible to me, even with this much evidence that goes contrary to the official narrative. That um, I don't know, it's just I, I observe it from a psychological lens, I guess. In this, it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, where or cognitive dissonance, where even when those last remaining people are given clear-cut proof from very credible people, that it's just like they refuse to but not, they not they, be dominated. You know, I'm going like, do you like being imprisoned in your home and well, losing think, your business? Like, Yeah, I think from a, from a psychological standpoint, though, I think it's a little bit different. I think you hit it when you said cognitive dissonance. Right, because they have to now, if they question this and they start to say, oh my God, they were right and I was wrong, it creates a chain reaction backwards in time because now they have to start questioning many of the things that they took as truth. So they have to now start questioning everything that they've learned. And that's a difficult place when you start realizing that if I was wrong about this and I was wrong about this, then how many other things am I wrong about? You know, we see this with doctors that have been giving vaccines, right? And when they recognize and realize what they've been doing, I mean, just imagine you're a pediatrician. You go into medicine, you want to help children. And for 20 years, you've been given vaccines. And then somebody sticks the studies in front of you and you have, you know, you have a moment where you actually bother reading the study as opposed to just ignoring it. And it hits you like, holy crap. If I had, I mean, remember, pediatricians, they want to help kids, right? That's what they, they have to suddenly realize and, and deal with the emotional issue that had I never been born, I would have done more for mankind. That's a tough place for a human being to be. 
Wow. And most of them will just shut down and say, blah, blah, you know, I can't hear you. I can't see you. You're full of garbage. This isn't true. But because that's the only way they can adjust with reality. Otherwise, they're going to pick up a gun and blow their own heads off. Right? Right. So it's, it's a very difficult place. Now, the few that stand up and say, oh, my God, I cannot believe this. And they acknowledge their mistake and they change their practice. Those, to me, those are the real heroes in medicine. Those are the people that, you know, I can't say I'm in that category because I've always been outspoken against it to me. Stupidity. Is, like I've, been, I've been labeled as anti-vaccine. I'm like, I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm anti-stupidity. There's no reason to be giving. I mean, if the whole thing is to give a child a vaccine to improve their immune system, then why are we giving it at a time when the child can't see or convert? And why are we giving it with things that are immunosuppressive and suppress the immune system? And why are we giving it with adjuvants that are necessary to cause a reaction? Because without it, you're not going to have a reaction, i.e., what the hell does that got to do with immunity? And then why are we giving, you know, mutated human cell lines? And why are we, and then the whys and whys and whys go on. But I've never been against vaccines. Just find me the right vaccine. It's like a unicorn. I'm not against unicorns. You find me a unicorn, I'll start breeding them. <laughs> yeah, Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> the safe vaccine is right, like... Bigfoot, is like Bigfoot big... might be real, okay? But <laughs> um, Well, that, you know, that brings me... There's so many things I want to cover, but I know that some of your passion around the vaccine topic, which of course is becoming increasingly relevant in the COVID conversation, was due to the complications that your son experienced. Do you want to tell us a bit of that background and we can kind of meander our way through the current state of vaccines? Well, um, with Abi, he's my middle child, my oldest son. And, um, the, you know, there's a mini documentary. People can Google it. It's called The Abi Story, uh, T-H-E and then Abi, A-B-I-E Story. And they can Google it and watch the whole thing. But um, I had treated a couple of kids, again, you know, my background's in surgery, as I said. So I didn't know what autism was. And I had this woman that had come to the clinic and she had a gut issue and I got her gut straight. And this is early on in my private practice career. So I got out of the military in 1996 and this was like in 1997. And she had, in her opinion, a great response with her gastrointestinal system. So she asked me if I would see her daughter who had autism. And, you know, at this point, I'm thinking autism, you know, that must, that's some kind of genetic disorder. You know, I was getting it confused with trisomy 21, you know, and thinking that it's like, uh, you know, I, I couldn't remember what the heck, Kleinfelter syndrome. I'm trying to remember my genetics and I, I, could, I didn't know what autism was. So anyway, she brought her, the child to me and I kind of did the same thing that I did with the mom. You know, I just got her gut straight. I didn't even do anything with metals or anything. I just got her gut straight. We identified that she had some metal issues. We started addressing this. And mom was like ecstatic because the last thing that her daughter did that was normal, that was neurotypic, was she played patty cake. And that was at the age of like a year and a half. And then she had gone into a developmental delay or developmental arrest and was nonverbal, pretty much, you know, she only had a few words, lost everything. And now this child was like six years old and completely oblivious to her surroundings. But after we started doing her gut and started dealing with some of those other issues, within a few months, she starts playing patty cake again. So she came back to the same spot that she'd stopped. And so mom was very, very grateful, ecstatic, was telling all sorts of people, people coming in. Now to me, you know, I'm a simple-minded guy. In general surgery, we said, uh, we general surgeons are very simple-minded, you know, heal with steel, when in doubt, cut it out. Those are the parameters <laughs> that we live by. So That's to funny. me, she was still, you know, autistic. I mean, to me, I didn't really see much difference. 
Now, to a parent who's dealing with a child, there's a huge difference. You have a child that's playing patty cake, stops having any interaction, now starts playing patty cake and interacting with you. It's a massive difference. But again, for me, wearing the lenses of a doctor, watching and observing and looking at the test, it wasn't that much of a difference. But she was ecstatic. And then the next parent comes in and the next parent. We got parents coming from everywhere. Well, about a year into it, by 1998, uh, early 1998, practice was growing. I was still working ERs, night shifts, and then working the clinic, but it was getting busier. And it was difficult dealing with the autistic kids. You know, it was difficult to see the pain in the parents' eyes. It was difficult to see the, the interactions between nursing staff and the patients because it affected the nurses. It upset them. Uh, there was, there was just a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain and heartache that you could see. It was almost permeating, you know, people that can see energy fields. Maybe they could, they would be able to say that it just was a very non-desirable energetic level in the clinic. Even though the parents were happy, you could feel their, their, their pain. And it was a lot of the new people coming. That's where you'd really feel it. Right. And hope and frustration and fear. And then, of course, the kids would tear up the exam rooms, wallpaper was ripped down, trash cans were turned over, you know, things were destroyed. And I decided, I was like, you know, I don't need, I don't need to see any of these kids. And so we made a decision, or I made a decision, we were going to stop seeing autistic kids. And that was in early, 19, um, early to mid-1990. It was 10 months before my son was born. Um, and it took me a while to get everything dispositioned, to get the patients out into you know, other doctors. Now, interestingly enough, my now ex-wife, Abby's mom, we had had two miscarriages after our first child, and so she, or three actually, three miscarriages. She basically had stopped trying, and so Abby, when Abby came into the world, it was completely, you know, unplanned. She was forty-two at the time, and uh, it was a shock to everybody. But now in retrospect, I know exactly what happened. It was God increasing the ante, saying, okay, you think you have a choice in what you're here for? You know, I sent you to do a job. You got to do that job. So let's just up the ante. And that's what happened. I mean, I screamed at God. I cursed at him. I threatened God. You know, I mean, I, I begged, I pleaded, I bartered with my arm, my leg for my son. And eventually it came down to, I just made a deal. I said, give me back my son and I'll never stop doing what you want me to do. You give what? me back my son and... What were the complications when uh, your son was born? None. He had no complications. He was great. He was just, I mean, he, he was fantastic. I mean, he was, his first word was Abu, which means father in Arabic. He had a 15-word vocabulary. He was only like 14 months old. He was doing great. I mean, but unbeknownst to me, he went back. My, my ex-wife took him back. And it wasn't, she, she was, again, being motivated by fear, right? It's all, everything comes down to being pe people that are motivated by fear versus motivated by love. And when he was born, there were three doctors that came in, four doctors actually came in, trying to convince us to take vaccines. And I said, no. Oh, because you already had the awareness from working with those autistic kids that right. there was a relation there. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure, but there was enough. And, and she yeah. knew too, because she was working in the clinic. So she knew too. Mm. Um, but after numerous doctors, you know, you can't be a preacher in your own house. So she, she saw four or five doctors saying, take the vaccines. And she saw her husband saying, don't. She didn't see me as a doctor. She saw me as her husband. You know, and I've experienced this before, but my mom, when, when she had cancer and I was treating her, and she never saw me as 
she would always remind everybody that I, she changed my diapers. I'm like, what the hell has I got to do with me treating you? But that, that's <laughs> right. the thing. You can't be a preacher in your own house, right? Right, right. And so she went back at a year, a little after a year, and got his vaccines. And I think she was thinking that, okay, well, we'll just wait and then give him. And um, he lost his ability to speak. It just completely went away. How soon after? Within a month. Wow. And... Um, and so it was kind of like, I did four tests on him over a period of a year before we could ever substantiate mercury. And once we did, um, on his third birthday, actually, got the test results and finally saw mercury. And, um, you know, within, by, by, his, by three years and five months of age, he went from no speech to over a 500-word vocabulary. Um, I remember my daughter looking at me and saying, looking at me while driving the car because he's in the back just chattering away and he, she's looking at me going, can you shut him up? I cannot believe that you actually thought that he'd never speak because you can't, won't shut up. And, uh, you know, and, and so the rest is history, but it was basically Abi was a message from the creator. And, and, and you have to really know this kid to really understand what I mean. He's a world-ranked martial artist. He's a world-ranked poker player. He's graduating magna cum laude in, uh, in, from University of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, at dinner, I think we were talking about when uh, he's, uh, he was on the Wealth Summit you know, with his understanding of how economics work. And I mean, he's an extraordinary person. When people ask me, how's Abi? You know, is, is he okay? And I'm like, he's as okay as Superman is without his cape. You know? I, mean, there's not, you know, there's, I mean, he's constantly, even now he teaches me, you know, his ability to understand risk management and and um, he's one of the few people when he says anything to any on this planet, he's one of the very, very few people less than a less than, a, you know, five fingers in my hand where if they say something, I will, even if I don't agree with it, I will still listen and think about it and contemplate it. And I may still take action adversarial to what he suggested, but I'll usually regret it <laughs> because he was usually right. And uh, so... You know, he's an extraordinary gift, as all children are gifts, but that's where it all started for me. And wow. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. I want to break you off with some great information right now from our sponsor, Lifecycle. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. Before I forget, your coupon code there is STORY15, but more importantly... I'm going to talk about these guys. They're based in Byron Bay, Australia, and they create some insane, extremely potent liquid extracts of turkey tail, lion's mane, shiitake, reishi, and cordyceps. And now they even have some uh, chaga, which I've been waiting for. So turkey tail is one of the best documented mushrooms in scientific research with a wide spectrum of beneficial properties. Turkey tail shows much promise in supporting the immune system and the gut. And in recent studies, lion's mane is renowned for providing support to the brain and nervous system. Don't tell anyone, but lion's mane is what I used in the old uh, microdosing stack. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Reishi has been used for more than two millennia in Asia and has been respectfully called the mushroom of immortality. This mushroom is well known as a tonic for supporting general wellness and vitality. And I like to use the reishi for chilling out. It's very relaxing to the nervous system. So I like to use it at night before bed. And cordyceps can be beneficial for those wanting more energy. So cordyceps is the one you use for working out, getting pumped, getting hyped, getting jacked. 
Research has discovered that Cordycept may have the effect of increased oxygen uptake, supporting higher endurance level. And people have also found that Cordycept supports healthy sexual functioning, what? And essential for supporting natural immunity. And shiitake is not only a delicious edible mushroom, but it's also thought to hold many beneficial properties from immune system protection to supporting skin and hair growth. So if you want to check these out, here's what you do. Go to lifecycle.com. Again, that's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. Use the code STORY15 and save yourself 15% off. These products are fantastic. I use them every day. Check it out. And now back to the interview. So when it comes to, uh, you know, the vaccines, I think, you know, other than the series of vaccines that kids are given and seems to be increasing, you know, exponentially all the time, despite the public awareness, uh, when we're getting into the suggested (laughs) final solution to ending the new normal and lockdowns, we're moving toward you know, uh, someone like a Bill Gates, not medically trained, no credentials whatsoever in medicine, um, you know, kind of getting very forceful about this being the only option. And I think about the flu shot and just anecdotal evidence from people I've known that have gotten sick from the flu shot that still get the flu. I've known people that uh, have family members that have died from getting the flu shot. Uh, and that seems to be the most common kind of a, adult vaccine Um do the flu shots work? And it seems to me they don't. So if they don't work, why do we think that we're going to get success with a vaccine for COVID? Well, the problem is with your question, you're asking a logical question and there's no logic here. <laughs> I mean, that it happens to me a lot. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, and that's exactly what we need to do is ask those type of questions because there's people that don't get it. It's that logic that's going to make them finally wake up. Because when you tell them or or drown them with facts, they get into that cognitive dissonance. But it's when you ask them the question, and they may not even respond appropriately at first, but it'll it'll work its magic. It may take a week, it may take a month, but they'll start to think. You know, they'll think about that crazy guy with the you know earrings, who's a Hollywood guy that that interviews people, and he asked me that question, and it's bothering me because I can't answer it, right? And I've I've found that. With doctors, I can, I, I'm, a, I'm a master at verbal combat, okay? I can bring a doctor down to his knees, but you almost have to sometimes because they're so, you know, they have massive egos. I mean, I know because I have a massive ego, but when it comes to patient outcome, I have no ego. And I will send them anywhere to get better if I know that somebody can treat them better than I can. I think that's one reason we've had the clinical success that we have. And, and I'm fortunate that the creator has guided me in the right way. In fact, my name in Arabic means one who's on the right path of life. So it's, it's an interesting name. And I'm always off the path, but I'm always getting kicked on the right path. I think that it's the question that you have to ask. And with doctors, you can't ask that question because they have that superiority complex that I'm the doctor, you're not. So shut the hell up and listen to what I'm saying. Versus if you have another doctor talking to them that knows their stuff better than they know it and you should teach it to, you know, I can bring them down to the knees and then I can rebuild them up. Uh, and I've seen that before. I've had doctors that were so arrogant and then I've embarrassed them. I've shown them their own inadequacies. And within you know, three months, six months, they'll call me. And I've, I've literally had doctors on a private call break. People that attack me six months later on a private call break down, start crying on the phone. 
Because that's, I mean, you just think about it for a second. You, you think that you know everything. You've been told that you know everything. You've been put up on a pedestal. You have been almost treated like a deity. And all of a sudden, you realize that you have been nothing but a mouthpiece for an industry that has, if at all, the priority of the patient, maybe the top, you know, maybe 10 or 11th priority. And now you realize that everything that you've been doing in your professional world has not been um, consistent with what you thought. And so it's, and a lot of doctors, you know, I mean, the ones that I'm talking about, these guys, I'm proud of them because they rose to that occasion, but a lot of them won't. And those are the ones that I have a very low tolerance for. So when you talk about integrative doctors and mainstream doctors, I'm actually hated more by integrative doctors than mainstream doctors. And you know why? Because I call their crap out. A mainstream doctor doesn't know any better. The integrative doctor does know better. That's why he says, I'm using a natural substance. I use bioidentical hormones. It's the same crap. You use synthetic or bioidentical. You're still causing a negative inhibitory feedback loop to be cascaded. So why? What, you're saying, uh, I'm not going to use a synthetic material, which is okay, great. I'm going to use a natural material to cover up the damn symptom. You're still doing the same thing. It may not be as bad, but it's still the same thing. You got to address the underlying issue. And I am so tired of hearing doctors tell them, like, oh, we treat the root cause. And then they give you know, an herb to cover up or something like, what freaking root cause did you just address? It's a mantra that sounds good and people like it, but, you know, and I mean, I've been doing this for, I've been a doctor 29 years, but I've been doing this for 25 years. And almost on a daily basis, I have to realign myself because I get fall into the same trap of trying to treat a diagnosis and you got to stop. You know, the, the head map tool that we've created, which I think you had an invitation code to tell your listeners to, the head map tool, advanced health evaluation and assessment for detoxification, medical assessment program, that tool is designed to optimize the organs of detoxification. I don't care what their diagnosis is. The magic of the head map, as Dr. Ashton likes to call it, is that it bypasses our brains, bypasses everything, and actually looks at the information that the body is giving us. So we basically take subjective SF36 patient outcome-based data, i.e. symptoms, and we objectify it into a numeric value that can now be tracked for one efficacy of treatment, whatever the treatment is, whether it's standing on your head and chanting a mantra or getting chemo radiation or taking this vitamin or taking that drug, doesn't matter. A person cannot test themselves and see the efficacy of that treatment, whatever the treatment is. And the second thing is to track the progress, whether they're getting better or worse with that treatment. And that's the magic. I will not see a patient in my clinic. None of my providers will see a patient in the clinic unless they've done their head map. They've got to be done every you know, every time they come in for a, for a, so in visit. your, in your protocol, you just start with detoxification out the gate. Generally absolutely. speaking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you're all pathology comes down to oxidation, all pathology. All right. And that pathology with oxidation, you know what I mean? Right. But the, with the rusting process, if you cut a banana in half, it turns brown within a couple of minutes. That's the oxidation process. It's happening to everybody every day. When you eat, when you exercise is oxidation, but there's certain things that accelerate oxidation. And so we have these seven toxicities in my philosophy. It used to be three and then four, five, six, seven, as I discovered them. And I wrote about that in my, in my nine steps book. Um, it's an international bestseller. So I'll say that, but it's been, a, it's been an international bestseller for 10 years now. But anyway, the, in that book, I talk about the seven toxicities and those seven toxicities, just in a nutshell, heavy metals, persistent organic pollutants, opportunistic, that's with the bacteria, viruses, spirochetes, et cetera. 
Um, first three are tangible. You can measure them. The next four are somewhat more esoteric. So the fourth one is energetics, from the 5G to the ambient cell phone radiations, et cetera, microwave technologies. Fifth one is emotional. If there's one more important than any other one, it's, it's that one, and that's uh, emotional. And emotional, psychological. Sixth one is foods. Not what we're eating, but what we do to the foods. That's the pasteurization, homogenization, uh, irradiation, genetic modification. And then the seventh one is spiritual. So these are the seven toxicities. If you can take care of... I'm making you sweat already, right? The seven toxicities... <laughs> it's um, a lot to take in. That's right. <laughs> so the seven toxicities, their mechanism of action and damage is oxidation. And it's oxidation that causes cancer, heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, whatever it is, it's that, that oxidative process. So our goal is to reduce that oxidative injury. And the way we do that is by removing the toxin. So detoxification is critical to getting the healing process going. And then the second component is... Like we're, we're, let's look at cancer, for example. Cancer starts because at that point, wherever, wherever um, the cancer cell began, I mean, what was a cancer cell before it became a cancer cell? It was a normal, healthy cell. So something caused it to switch. Well, there are two things that could be. It could be one, a toxicity at that point, or it could be a malnourishment. There's a, there's a lack of some nutrient that the body needs. Usually, it's a combination of both. And that's where the characteristics of cancer begin. That's where the oncogenic process gets initiated and you have a suppression of apoptosis. You have an uncontrolled cellular proliferative state there. And it's actually nothing more than a survival mechanism. What, what's the last thing that happens to a tree before it dies? It rapidly sheds its seeds to try to protect its, its future progeny. You know, it's trying to perpetuate itself. It's the last ditch thing that a tree does before it dies. It spreads its seeds. Well, think of a cell. If that cell's about to die, what's it doing? It's going into a into a survival mechanism. It suppresses its apoptotic cascade. So now everything, all the suicide programs to cause self-destruction are wiped clean and the cell starts to replicate uncontrolled, in an uncontrolled fashion. It's the same thing. It's a survival mechanism. So our goal is to help the cancer cell to readjust back to a normal state by providing what it needs, getting rid of the toxins and giving it the nutrient support it needs. And that that's the seven toxicities. You know? So there's an emotional toxicity, emotional psychological toxicity. There's a spiritual toxicity. People don't seem to understand that. It's huge. You know, Paul Allen wrote a book called As a Man Thinketh over oh, 100 yeah, years yeah, ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And the summary of that book is that uh, the body is a slave to the mind. If you have a problem with your body, you have a health issue, there's something wrong with your body, fix your mind first. Yeah. If you don't fix your mind, you'll never fix the body. Yeah, this is the uh, phenomenon I've observed with people that have some sort of chronic pathology where either in a, you know, just a spontaneous spiritual experience or an enlightenment moment, self-realization moment or a plant medicine journey or something like that, they're cured of whatever that thing was with no medical intervention and really no, no material physical intervention. It's that childhood trauma, those things that are left unhealed right. that manifest through the body. And I know for myself, I mean, I think, I mean, I've never been seriously ill, but I've had, you know, persistent buggy problems. And a lot of them have just kind of gone away as I've really done more of that emotional healing work Absolutely. and become more spiritually aligned, uh, all of a sudden you know, think back, go, oh, I remember when I used to have heartburn all the time or this or that, and I didn't really do anything different. It's just, you know, I'm just having healthier thoughts, more positive thoughts. And But think about this, you know, you look at epigenetics, right? It's your environmental signal that causes the problem. What are thoughts? It's a signal. Right. Same as a food that you're eating, same as a 
air you're breathing, same as the water you're drinking. It's another signal. It's, it's, and it's a big one because that's the thoughts constantly going on in our head. You know, we have hundreds of millions of thoughts that fly through our head every day. We don't have hundreds and millions, hundreds of millions of pieces of food that go into our bodies every day or hundreds of millions of cc's of water that go into our day, but the thoughts, it's hundreds of millions. And so if you start thinking from that perspective, our thoughts are critical to us being in a better state of health. Well, that brings me to something I wanted to talk to you about uh, as someone who's been observing my thoughts for a long time and always recommend that people do and not just like, oh, think positive in a pious sort of Pollyanna way, but uh, really to really eliminate all negative thought and emotion from your life little by little as a practice. And I find this difficult around some things as I become educated like EMF, for example, and 5G. So I know uh, that my body has an intelligence and my nervous system and the biochemical reactions as a result of my thoughts. So when I see a cell tower or I'm in a hotel room and I go, oh, great, the Wi-Fi router's right there. There's this <laughs> contraction of fear within me. And I think you know the world at large that are uninformed of what's really going on, or at least closer to it around COVID, are doing themselves more harm by being in fear than, you know, well, definitely more than the virus, but perhaps even compounding the effects of the EMF or whatever virus they happen to be exposed to. As I walk around my neighborhood in LA, I mean, I live in the hills and there's not even sidewalks. It's basically like when you go for a walk, you're hiking, there's just concrete, you know, there's a street. And, you know, some people are still wearing their masks. It's 90 degrees out and it's sun is out and uh, they'll cross the street to avoid me and my girlfriend and my dog. And, you know, I just feel compassion that they're still watching CNN or wherever they've been led to believe that, they, you know, that they're at risk of walking by someone on a sunny day. But it's like the realization I have is, God, their immune system is getting compromised you know, to all sorts of threats of pathology just by walking around in that contracted state of fear. Absolutely. So it's something I'm observing in myself and really working on just relaxing, knowing that many things are out of my control yeah. and, and, you know, including viruses and EMF exposure and things like that. Uh, and it just feels so much better to be in one's body when you're able to let go and just kind of surrender that, that protective, tense state. You're absolutely right. So the powers that be that have a platform of the media controlling the narrative and have the platform of creating these vaccines and et cetera, et cetera, they have an agenda with the eugenics agenda. We pretty much know that. You know, if somebody doesn't know that or they think that's conspiratorial, you know, this label of conspiracy theory, you know, is this conspiracy? Absolutely, it's conspiracy. It's conspiracy against mankind. Is it theoretical? You know, there's a theory. There's nothing theoretical about it. There's so many facts. You'd have to, you know, you'd be choked on it. If this was, if facts were like water, we'd be all drowning in the facts right now. So there's nothing conspiratorial about this, but that's the, what the media has to label it as in order to dissuade the narrative, uh, uh, dissuade the discussion that questions the narrative. And so when you talk about the thought aspect, right? If you were an evil mastermind and you wanted to reduce the world's population and you were going to create this vaccine issue, COVID-19, you know, the, you, you, the media has been, or mainstream Hollywood has been talking about these types of things, you know, contagion and 
Ebola and all this stuff, kind yeah. of like preparing us, predictive right? programming. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so we know that that's something that has been happening since the 1960s. You know, Project Mockingbird, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all these different things that the CIA did. Now, if you if you were an evil mastermind, you would want to, let's say, your agenda was to reduce the world's population, and you knew that you couldn't force people to take a vaccine, or at least in the beginning, you couldn't. How could you make them more susceptible? to becoming sick. Well, you'd stress them out financially. Stop, you know, the world economy, the financially stressed out. Um, and humans are herd animals. So you separate them by having social distancing, prevent them from getting together in places of worship and concerts and other mass gatherings, and then try to break down the family unit. You have them wear a mask to prevent oxygen, which is you know, you can go without water for three days. You can go without food for 50 days, 100 days. You can't go without oxygen for more than two or three minutes. So you put them into a chronic state of stress, physiological stress now by making them suck oxygen through some type of, a, you know, some type of a obstruction that further suppresses their immune system, makes them more susceptible to anything, bacteria, virus, spirochete, mycoplasma, yeast, parasite, whatever, and it just continues and continues. So there, and I'm glad you brought this up because this is what's coming, the, the next wave that they're talking about COVID-19. I want everybody to understand this. This is critical. When the, when the second wave comes, you know, people say, well, they're just talking about second wave. There's going to be no second wave. No, there's going to be a second wave. There's no doubt about it. But it's not the second wave of covid it's, an, again, an illusion, just like the first wave was an illusion. So people are going to get sick. How are they going to get sick? Well, they opened up cities and more people got sick, right? Well, why did they get sick? Well, they, one, they've been kept closed in, but they're stressed out. Then they have people start getting vaccines. As the vaccines come out, they're going to get sick from that. They got the 5G rollout that they started rolling out while we were being kept in our homes. So you've got an increased energetic level that the body is not used to that, again, if you go back and you look historically, every time a new energetic source came in, then we had a new type of exposure. These are, this is the more evolved theory of virology where actually viruses are nothing more than messages that are going out to tell the rest of the species how to evolve because we are viral systems. If it wasn't for viruses, we'd be extinct. So it's, a, it's an evolutionary process. And what is the difference between a virus and an exosome. There's no difference. So exosomes are considered to be beneficial. Viruses are considered to be bad. But virus is nothing more... I mean, remember, virus is not alive or dead. It's DNA or RNA particles that live inside of cells, and they're released when the body is stressed through some type of uh, exogenous stimuli. And that stressor is actually a way for that... That virus is nothing more than like an email or a text message to everybody else around you that, hey, this is something that's happening... You know, we need to adjust, we need to compensate. It's a compensatory mechanism to help us evolve, is what it is. So when you start looking at the, the situation right now, to blame this on a virus, it makes no sense because viruses are really here to help us evolve. That's the more advanced virological uh, theory, which I concur with. And this actually was first introduced by Rudolf Steiner over 100 years ago. But if you start seeing the People that have been holed up in their homes, now they're released out a little bit. They're, they've been sucking oxygen through their mask. They're hypercapnic. They've got lymphocyte subpopulations that are trashed. Their immune systems, you know, 
non-functional or, or severely dysfunctional. They're in a sympathetic mimetic drive, overdrive, the flight fight response. It's like being chased by a rabid dog constantly, you know? There's no like jumping up the fence. There's no fence. You just, just day in and day out, you're running and this dog's chasing you or a saber-toothed tiger's chasing you, whatever the case is. And so you've got this, all these stressors. And on top of that, you put the 5G as that gets turned on. That's going to be a massive physiological stress. On top of that, you're getting the vaccines. That's going to make more people sick. So you got people that are going to get sick from three different things all being hit at the same time. And what's that going to be? That's the second wave. They're going to say, see, we told you that people are going to get sick. They're going to blame it on COVID. It has nothing to do with COVID. It's the masks, the social distancing, stressed out, 5G, vaccines. are going to make millions of people sick. Millions of people are going to die. They're going to say, see, we told you this is the second wave. And because you didn't listen to us, we're now going to mandate the vaccine. They're already trying to prep us by saying we need multiple doses of vaccines. And now you'll see the eugenics platform taking place. The only way to counter that is for people to do the same thing they did with H1N1. Absolutely categorically refuse to take the vaccine. I'll rather get a bullet, I'll get a lead infusion in my head than get, take the damn vaccine. And that's when people, that's the only way to stop it. Because then the narrative, the, the, the misinformation, the CNNs and the, you know, all the mainstream media is going to perpetuate this. As people are dying from the vaccines, they're going to be blaming COVID. From 5G, the COVID. From being stressed out, COVID. They're already doing that. People are killing themselves, suicide, you know, all these, uh, the amount of uh, domestic violence, the number of people that have died from all these other conditions that could have been treated, but they weren't able to get access to hospitals. That's like 20, 30, 40, I don't even know what the number is, times the number of people that supposedly died of COVID. But they're blaming it all on COVID. So you cannot trust the media for giving the right information already. We know that. How are we going to trust them to give the right information on the actual side effects from the COVID-19 plus 5G plus being stressed out from wearing a freaking mask? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that, hey, wait a second, I need oxygen if somebody puts their hand over my mouth, I'm not going to be able to breathe as well. I mean, it's literally that simple. So I just want people to understand and register that message that it's going to be the second wave is not COVID, just like the first wave wasn't. It's going to be vaccine plus 5G plus stresses from wearing or stressors from wearing the face mask that are going to cause more people to get sick and die. And they're going to use that as a false flag again to try to justify giving mass mandatory inoculations. And that's what we have to resist. Will you explain for people that aren't familiar with the word um, eugenics and, and how, you know, I don't know how much history you know about Bill Gates uh, and, and folks like more that. More than I want to know. <laughs> uh, I'm sure not you know, as much as I should know, but way more than I want to know. I mean, the way I see it is you have a few misguided people, right? That are devoid of empathy and devoid of love which would be, you know, the, I guess most people's definition of evil, which I don't really buy into. Evil. You mean like sociopathic narcissists? Is that yeah. what you're trying to say? Okay. Yeah. And okay. Our, our world leaders, you know, the, the pedophile rings, the, you know, the monetary, the fiat currency, the scam of the World Bank, like all of this stuff that now even moderate people are starting to become aware of, as we were talking about earlier, because they push so far, it's waking up people on the sidelines. But I think people have a hard time, especially people that do have empathy and that, have a connection to spirit and their family and, and, and some, you know, dimension of love, they have a hard time believing that someone like a Bill Gates could intentionally want to depopulate the planet and has in fact set out to do that somewhat successfully in certain areas so far. I think that like, I've tried to explain this to people and like, what? No, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. And I go, well, I mean, here's a talk he did where he's 
saying that's what his goal is, you know? So it's like the evidence is there. But I think it's hard for people to understand how someone could lack empathy or they could have such a thirst for control that they're like, you know, what was that Captain Evil on Austin Powers that there are characters that are actually like that, but not fictitious. Yeah, you know, I don't know whether he's an evil person or he's lacking empathy, as you said. Or what I find is people like that are, they really believe the BS that they believe. I mean, they're not doing it because of an agenda. They believe it. And if you look at Bill Gates' history and who his parents were and who his parents were influenced by, remember who started IBM and remember who funded World War II. So there's a great, great video. If anybody wants to see it, you can go to my YouTube channel and it's um, part two of four. Uh, Time to Wake Up is the, the video title. There's four sets of them, but it's t- I think part one that took down, but part two is still up. And part two, it's only six minutes long. Brief introduction that I give and then the video that explains everything. It's really, really eye-opening. So eugenics, to answer your question, is basically the science. It, it's, uh, it comes from the Greek or Latin meaning of noble birth. That's where the term comes from. And essentially the eugenics platform is that the bottom line is that they believe, the people that believe in the eugenics platform or the eugenics components, they're feeling, eugenics doesn't define it this way, but this is where the people that have studied eugenics, this is what they believe, that the world cannot sustain itself at its current rate of growth, the population. And they have, I have no idea how they came up with this, but the number is, the magic number is 500 million people, half a billion people, which means that the current world population of 7.7 billion people is a little bit more than what they want or they think they can sustain. So that means 14 out of 15 people would have to be eliminated in order for them to feel that the world is now sustainable. Um, You know, you start, it it gets even a little darker as you start going down this rabbit hole, but the eugenics platform, um, Bill Gates' mom and dad were both tied in with people that go back to Planned Parenthood, who started Planned Parenthood, who were involved with the Third Reich funding of World War II. Um, and it's what they were doing then, the genetic cleansing of World War II with the Jews and with those that were undesirables. Um, and you got to remember that World, uh, Hitler's idea was to the superior race, Aryan, which, by the way, that's another interesting thing because people think that the Aryan race is blonde-haired, blue-eyed. Actually, I'm, I'm Aryan myself. And if you look at Hitler had black hair and dark eyes and the, and the true Aryans are tall, dark, you know, and handsome, kind of like me. That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> no, so, um, but, the, but the true, there's no blonde hair, blue-eyed Aryans that they, that this is all a misnomer. And in fact, if, when people have questioned that, you know, my question is that, well, why would Hitler say the blue-haired, or blue-haired, blue-eyed, blonde-haired was a superior race when he himself didn't have that? Okay, but he was talking about the Aryans being the superior race. So everybody else outside of that race, you know, the mongoloid, uh, negroid, Caucasian, it didn't make any difference if they weren't Aryan. So he started off with the Jews, but remember he prevented, they, 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 were, they wouldn't allow uh, the black participants in the Olympics because they didn't recognize them, even though they were better athletes, right? So there was a lot of issues around World War I, World War II, Nazi Germany, that you can see those issues right now. You have Melinda Gates talking about how the black community and the Native American community need to get this vaccine first. Why? You know, you got to ask that question. During Vietnam War, the 
percentage of soldiers, that a percentage of the population that served as soldiers in the Vietnam War was 11 to 12 percent males, right? 11 to 12 percent of all males in the in the right age group, whatever that was, 17, 18 to 35, about 11 to 12 percent served. But of that, if you broke that down into um, subcategories, the highest category was the African-American community. They served 36% of their uh, males in that category, in that age group between 17, 18, whatever it was, 17, 18 to 35, served. So that's a disproportionate service. Second highest service was among the Native Americans. Third one was among the Latin Americans. So you had Hispanics, Indians, Native Americans, and Black Americans that were serving disproportionately in all the wars, actually. I, I just happen to know the statistics for the Vietnam War, but in the Korean War, even World War II, same thing. Why were they disproportionately serving? Well, economically, probably, they were, they were not as privileged, and so maybe the military was an escape for them. It was a, it was a paycheck, and they were able to serve, and there was you know, they were able to provide and for their families by doing so, and they were able to also contribute to society. But the point is, again, we are, you know, why would Melinda Gates say that they need to be uh, served first? Because economically, again, they're the lower socioeconomic class, but they're also less resistant to standing up and fighting, and they're going to think, oh, well, government's helping us. It's another way, and it's another handout. We'll take it. It's going to cause more people to die in, that, in those demographics. So, I'm, you know, I don't even know whether you asked me a question. I just went on a tangent. But was, <laughs> oh, was no, there? That's, you, okay. that's all stuff I wanted to cover, actually. Okay. And I think when you look at, I mean, if you really step back from those, even the CDC and the WHO, Bill Gates, like all, all you know, Fauci, all of these people that are kind of the official narrative of, the, of, of that side, you could say, right? Not to be polarizing, but I'm definitely not in agreement with any of that on that side personally. Uh, but what I find compelling and convincing that there is something nefarious going on is that never once have any of those people or organizations recommended getting sunshine, checking your vitamin D levels, you know, exercising, <laughs> yeah, exercising. washing your hands, washing yeah. your hands, uh, all, you know, there's no talk of nutrition, of lifestyle choices, of anything, and nor is there any. How about a program for the inner city or, or more disadvantaged people to give them access to non-GMO food and right. organic food and more well, their fruits? Their is more vaccines. Yeah, that's more what right. I mean. Right. So it's like when you, okay, there's a problem. We have, oh, let's just say we do have a pandemic or there's just a health crisis worldwide, right? Of whatever nature. When the solution is offered in a, you know, such a narrow spectrum, which is like, we're not going to talk about any other answers and anyone that is talking about any other answers or solutions is going to be silenced, vilified, called a conspiracy theory, uh, you know, taken offline, lose their medical license, whatever it is. We're going to silent any dissent and our single focus is going to be vaccine, 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 and, and more of them and more of them and more of them. I mean, I think even a rational person who thinks Bill Gates is, is an awesome humanitarian with just a little bit of, you know, maybe not even critical thinking you said, but just think something is amiss as to, you know, what the agenda is exactly one could theorize, but you have to at least question, huh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. No one's even saying, hey, 
drink more water. You know, it's just like even well, the most simple of recommendations to fortify your body's innate intelligence and your body's ability to form immunity toward all sorts of environmental threats is never discussed for one second. And yeah. I find that to be extremely suspicious. Yeah, you know what's even worse than that is when you start looking at the data that was released that the countries that started using hydroxychloroquine early stages had a 76%, I'm sorry, 79% reduction in mortality, which means that if we had done that here, which by the way, it wouldn't have made any difference because they would have inflated the numbers even more. But, but, <laughs> but if, you, if you really want to look at that, hydroxychloroquine has been shown now enough times, the studies that have been done to show the, how effective it was, they were minimized. And then they did counter studies to show that it wasn't effective. And then those studies were found to have been on purpose corrupted. So they were, they were not doing the studies the way a study should be done. So now my question is that here you've got somebody like Fauci. You know, I, I try to be respectful in giving the people the titles that they've earned, but I have a hard time calling him a doctor because here's a man that will say that we should not be recommending hydroxychloroquine, a drug that's been on the market for 60 to 70 years that has an extremely, extremely safe profile, has been used for many, many different types of, of diseases. Um, it's, it's a disease-modifying dr uh, drug. It's, it's, it's uh, called a DMARC. Um, what's the acronym stand for again? Disease-modifying... Anti-rheumatic agent, right. So they actually use it with... Uh, with um, I actually had seen hydroxychloroquine being used in people with uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and some of those types of conditions. But regardless, it's been used quite abundantly throughout the world. Very inexpensive, well-known, well-established safety profile. And he says, no, we shouldn't be using something like hydroxychloroquine because we don't know if it's going to work. But hey, wait a second. Let's use a vaccine that has never been tested in animals. Let's use a vaccine that normally takes at least five years to make it a safe profile. But we know that we're not going to have five years. So let's fast track this vaccine. And then let's give it to a company like, oh, let's say Moderna. That's $1.5 billion in the hole. But, you know, Bill, I'll have my buddy Bill Gates call and, you know, he'll fund it and, and prop it up. And then we'll give them the contract and they'll make the first RNA vaccine. There's never been an RNA commercialized vaccine available. And you know what? Let's, let's forget about the fact that Moderna has never made a vaccine before. You know what? Let's even forget the fact that they've never made anything consumable by humans before. Oh, really? And then, you know what? Let's, let's oh, sweeten the pot crazy. a little bit and let's get rid of the animal testing. We don't even do the animal testing. And then let's tell the people that are going to do the experimental version of the vaccine, hey, no hanky-panky, no intercourse, because we don't want the world to see what could happen if by accident you were to conceive a child while you're doing the experiments with the vaccine. That's what's coming down the pipeline. Wow. Okay. And they're saying that, oh, we'll have the vaccine now by the end of the year. So they've never been able to make a vaccine in less than five years. And of course, what they have made in five years, we know how pathetic and inadequate it was, how absolutely disastrous those vaccines were. What do you think this vaccine is going to be like? Okay. It's designed for one thing, Luke. You know what that one thing is? An earlier transition. Wow. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, at least, you know, we're able to keep it light in the face of such uh, adversity. But this is part of the thing though, right? Yeah. Our thoughts. Yeah. Because the, the serenity prayer. Yeah. I don't drink. I've never drank alcohol. I did have, I did have one of those small little things of... Uh, the bitters, the mango bitters. Grappa. Yeah. Yeah, with the, with the mango, yeah. For digestion. And uh, yeah, I, I had that with four scoops of ice cream. So to me, hey, any, anything that you have with four scoops of ice cream, if they serve the vaccine with four scoops of ice cream, I might actually take it. <laughs> but um, when you start looking at the thought aspect that we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. The serenity prayer is a very important thing for people to remember. Whether you drink alcohol or not, just remember the serenity prayer. And for those, you know, I, I'll usually ask, you know the serenity prayer? And people say, yeah, yeah, I know it. And I said, then repeat it. Tell me. And there, uh, it's something about, okay, so it's not, you got to say it out aloud. God. Grant me the serenity. Grant, <laughs> well, it starts off actually, grant me the, yeah, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Yeah. The ability to accept the things that I, the ability to change the things that I can change and the wisdom to know the difference, right? Now, if you don't have the wisdom to know the difference and you're stressing out about world hunger and you know, world wars and vaccines and this and that, you're just going to stress yourself out. But what can you change? And here, there are certain things we can change. We can change our own field by being in a state of gratitude for whatever we have. You know, like the, pos- the Pollyanna things. Yeah, the positive affirmations, as far as I'm concerned, don't work. To me, it's got to be, you got to remember what you're grateful for. And sometimes if a person says, well, I don't have anything to be grateful for. Really? We all have something to be grateful for. The easiest way to remember what you have great, something to be grateful for is think about somebody that is less fortunate than you. And there's always somebody less fortunate. If you say, I cannot believe I lost my job and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Think about the soldier that served in Afghanistan who had both his legs blown off. You know, or think about... Uh, the, the person, the, the woman whose husband, you know, in a drunken fit of rage, you know, raped her and killed her. Or, and now the kids are, they don't have either parent because one's in jail. And the, so whatever the case is, think about how grateful you should be for the things that you have. And when you do that, that changes your resonance right away. And if you can't think of anything you're grateful for, then go freaking serve at a homeless shelter or a food bank for a, a couple of days and you'll start being grateful. That's the first thing. And it helps us to shift our mindsets into a place of awareness, greater awareness. That's one thing we can do. We can also, by being in a better state ourselves, whether you recognize it or not, you change those around you. Confucius said that we should take every opportunity we can to preach and never open our mouths. So if we can just lead by example and stop preaching, that makes a massive difference. And that's one person at a time. Our slogan in the IADW, the International Association for a Disease-Free World, is making the change the world's waiting for. One person at a time, beginning with you. And that's how we should approach life. Because we can't change the world. We can't change our country. We can't change the state. We can't even change our own town. We may not be able to change our own family, but we can change ourselves. And when we change ourselves, that begins the cascade that can change our family. 
you know, the number of people that have been um, ostracized by their own families, right? The, the discourse among families with this debate, with this issue, it's amazing. I mean, I've seen it everywhere, including my own family. I've got two members of my family I don't even talk to. I mean, they, 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 they think I'm a, a, I'm a crazy lunatic. I mean, I, they're telling my, my kids that they love, I hope you don't buy into your dad's BS. And then my kids are trying to help their aunt try to understand. You know, but it's okay. It's okay because everybody has their own journey. Um, and it used to really stress me out to, not stress me out that way, but it would, it would anger me and upset me. And, you know, because I just wanted people to understand. And there was this guy on YouTube that responded, I don't remember his name, but he was one of my, one of the thousands of comments that were coming in. And he said something that was so profound. So whoever, if you're listening, whoever you are, thank you for these words. But he said, Dr. Matar, you look like you're stressed. I want you to get some rest. And I want you to remember that you can lead a dumbass to water, but you can't make him drink. Yeah. Or you can't make him think. Sorry, you can't make him think. And so those have been, um, you know, I've been told, well, you don't want to use the word dumbass because then you alienate people. But, you know, at some point you have to slap somebody into being wake. And to me, if that's the word dumbass that wakes them up, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it shuts them off. At this point, though, you know, I think if you got it, you got it. And if you don't, you know, God love you. May you get the benefits that you're seeking. And, you know, you can have my vaccine too, but I'm not interested. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, with all this stuff in watching the polarization of people as if we weren't already polarized enough just because human beings are, we're generally idiots and so attached to our own point of view. But I've become, I don't know if it's less, it's not tolerance, but it's like, at first I was trying to appease more people and I didn't want to offend anyone. And, you know, if someone's really committed to their mask and they think Fauci is legitimate and all that, you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to exclude them from the conversation. But as I've started to uh, approach this subject by having you on and Dr. Cowan and David Icke and different people that have what I think is a more logical point of view about all of it, um, I, I know that I have alienated some people. And at first I was like, oh no, I don't want to lose people because I'm offering so much other good information that I think could benefit them. But at a certain point, it's like you really can't save someone that doesn't want to be saved or convince someone that doesn't want to be convinced. If someone has a closed mind, there's really no getting past that. Yeah. You know, that ability to not only allow new information to pass through and to consider it rationally, but also to let go of ideas that you once held to be true that no longer serve you and have proven to be false. Yeah. And I know in my own life, that's been a huge part of my own awakening over the years is just, there's things I just used to think were the way it is. And over time, I become hopefully a little more mature and malleable. And I go, you know what? Actually, that thing I used to stand by was total bullshit. Yeah. You know, I mean, this, I'm experiencing this a lot in the area of relationships. I mean, I had so many dumb ideas about, you know, your your romantic partner and intimacy and marriage and all these kind of things. And I look back and go, oh my God, like, when I was in my 20s or 30s, you know, I thought I had it all figured out. I was an idiot. I was clueless. I was missing out on so many opportunities for a rich life experience because I was holding on to that structure that I had built from wherever that information came from. So when it comes to sharing information like this now, I'm kind of just becoming less apologetic. And I you have try to. not to vilify anyone that has a different point of view. But at the same time, I have to maintain my own integrity and speak what I believe to be the truth at any given time. And right you know, people like you and other people I've interviewed that just don't kind of cave to being popular or public approval and just like, you don't like me? Fine. I'm 
I'm going to maintain my own integrity and deliver truth as I see it. And as you've indicated here today, you're willing to change your point of view as new information presents itself. Right. That, that, well, it's a healthy way to live. I, I think so. I think it's a very healthy way to live. I think it's a sustainable way of living. I think it's the only way of living. You know, you use the word awakening. And I'm sure you've probably heard that this time has been referred to as a great awakening. Yeah. And you're right, because humans have always been pitted against each other. I think it's been by, by design. You know, Muslim against Jew, Jew against Christian, Christian against Muslim, Democrat against Republican, black against white, you know, tall against short, you know, rich against poor. But if you start looking at this, this is the truly the great awakening because now it's transcended geographical boundaries, race, religion, creed, ethnicity. It's basically those that are aware and those that are not. Even Democrats from one side are coming over to the Republican side and Republicans, you know, it's, it's, it's change. All that stuff is changing. It's, it's those that are aware and those that are asleep. And so to me, it is a very exciting time to be alive from a historical perspective. I believe we'll be remembered as a, you know, people will go back and say, you know, can you believe that they did this kind of stuff? You know, I remember my grandfather was telling me this story. <laughs> I think that's going to be what the time is like. Now, yeah. It's either going to be like that or there's going to be no, nothing in three generations. There won't be any more human life. Within three generations, if these vaccines are rolled out the way that they're planning, there will be no more human life as we know it in, in, on this planet. Um, you know, David Icke, I was listening to him the other day and I was shocked by what he said because it's, it's exactly what I know is going to happen. But what I was shocked by was he said, I can tell the future. And he explains how he can tell the future. And he goes back to people like George Orwell and some of these other authors, right? The Brave New World that was written 90 years or 100 years ago and how they were talking about like where they grew humans. Like, think about it. 50 years ago, 75 years ago, was there gender, uh, gender identity crisis going on? No. But they've been introducing so many things in vaccines in the last, it's about since 1991. So in the last 29 years, something's wacky. So we've got this huge population of young adults that are, confused. Their narrative is confusing that they've heard, but on top of that, their chemistry has been altered from the vaccines and all this garbage that's been introduced. Now, you know, some people are going to say, Dr. Tar, you're, you know, you're now labeling blah, 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 you know, this isn't a problem. This is fact. We didn't have, sure, we may have had some people, but we didn't have this number of people that were confused from a genetic identity source. They're trying to divide our families up now, right? The Trace Act, the plan is that when, I believe in the next few generations, because this vaccine that's coming out right now, they've already done the test, 61 out of 63 uh, women that got the vaccine, they found they're sterilized, so they can't reproduce, but they found an anti-human chorionic gonadotropin component in there that basically acts as an antibody or uh, yeah, as an antibody against uh, HCG that maintains pregnancy. They've got another version that apparently decreases male sperm counts. So there's supposed to be two different types of vaccines, one for males, one for females. Already in India and Africa, they've got two different versions of the vaccine. Again, population control. So when you start looking at this from a eugenics platform, well, to get rid of people is one thing, but then you got to keep them from coming back, right? So to make people gender neutral, even with the political narrative, you know, with like, you know, referring to no he or she, but neutral, it's to create this gender neutral component of mankind and transform them so there is no more male and female 
And we're, they're already practicing, indoctrinating us, trying to take our children away. They've already had children in California. I think they took the first child away from their parents because of the COVID issue. And then more and more of that's happening in Australia. They're talking about it. That's what the whole Contact Trace Act was. They start getting, uh, um, Child Protective Services have been doing this for any parent that wants to step out of the box and not do conventional treatment for the kids. They take this, they, they slowly desensitize us so they can start taking our kids away. And now kids will be grown. You know, cloning technology has been around for a long time. I mean, how difficult does it go from Dolly the sheep to humans? It's not hard. It's the same thing. So I think that that's what's coming. And it was foretold in the brave new world. And I had had these thoughts in my head. And then here's David Icke talking about it. And I was like, has he got a bug in my house? Is he listening to me? Or so. Well, it's funny, man. When I started listening to David Icke stuff, maybe 20 years ago. That's about when I started listening to him. So it, the things that really made sense were the things he could prove where he's saying, okay, the Council on Foreign Relations is this guy from this royal family and his bloodline is related to this one and they own IP Farben and they were, you know, providing ammunition for the Nazis. And, you know, he would really tie it all together from very factual historical reference point. Then it went to the royal families and the elites in control are a bunch of satanic pedophiles. And, you know, it was like interesting because it was sort of novel, but I thought, all right, you know, once he hits that point, There wasn't I'm anything like, good on Netflix, so you thought, <laughs> yeah. I listen to that. Well, I'm like, there's no way that they could be getting away with that, you know, uh, let alone, you know, the reptilian shape-shifting and whatnot. But it has been remarkable for someone that's been, you know, watching someone like Hammer and Alex Jones for a long time to see so many of their you know, theories play out as almost prophecy. When I interviewed David Icke, I said, man, I'm not trying to be on your jock here, but I think you're kind of a prophet. 20, 30 years ago, you were talking about this. It sounded insane. And now we're seeing it unveil, you know, the separation of the family and yeah. many of the things you just outlined. And it used to sound like a science fiction movie, but the reason he knew that wasn't because he was having visions of the future. He was just reading the white papers and digging deep into, you know, these you know, leaked minutes from private meetings of the Bilderberg Group and all of these organizations that do, in fact, through their conglomerate multinational organizations, control the upper echelon of our society. And mm -hmm. he just was privy to that information, sharing it. And now you're like, oh, shit. Much of that was true. Maybe not all of it, but a good portion of it, yeah. you know? And it's um, bad see, but that's where the, the prior part of our conversation comes in mind is like, well, I can't change that. You know what I mean? All I can do is just share information, share my point of view, find interesting people that are courageous enough to challenge the narrative, share their message with the world, keep meditating, keep praying, keep my relationship with God right. And that's it. You know, walk into a room and hopefully emanate more joy than fear. That's right. And, and that's it. I mean, it's like, that's all you can do. Like, you know, your friend Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza and people I've interviewed, I go, how are you so happy? And it's like, I think they just choose to be that That's way. That's exactly what it's, it's like, that simple. <laughs> it's know? a choice. Yeah. It's literally that simple. I think it was Abe Lincoln who said, you know, most most people are about as happy as they make up their mind to be. Yeah. And it's like, it really is at the end of the day that simple. So it's a matter of finding, I think for me, balance of navigating these waters and seeing this as an awakening rather than a doomsday prophecy of the end of humankind as we know it. Well, it's this simple, right? Either this is a new awakening and it's going to be a much better world for all of us, or it's not. And if it's not, there's not going to be much of a world left anyway. And so we're going to transition pretty fast as it is. Right. I mean, people like me are going to transition really fast because the first person knocks on my door for a vaccine, you know, 
you know, <laughs> it's going to be a war right there. You know, They're, they'll have me on the media. You'll hear about the, you know, this crazy doctor that, you know, shot, you know, somebody like else. Waco. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's going to be like, right? But I think enough people know that it would be like Waco, so they don't want to be. And, and, and the people that I know that are in law enforcement and the military, they're friends of mine. You know, they'd be the ones who'd call me and saying, somebody's coming, dude, get locked and loaded right now. Right. So, so my point is that I, I don't worry about that because we're all going to die. Okay. But how did we live? That's what's important. Yeah. And I want to live free. More importantly, I want to live free so that I can ensure the freedom for my children and those that have asked me to be their guardians for their health, their doctor. That's what my job is. And so if I can't do that, to 100%, like I tell my sons, go hard or go home. So I'm going to go hard. And if I can't go as hard as I can, which means I can't stop this from happening, then I'm going to go home. The creator will take me and it'll be the transition that'll happen. So I'm not really too, you know, if you start recognizing that from the moment that you're born, you're dying, right? And especially if you've ever been in a situation where you've put your life on the line for God and country, you know, death loses its allure. It's, you know, you know, it's like, it's going to happen. So how do we live? As soon as you start to no longer worry about death, I've seen this with my cancer patients. It's exactly when you face death and realize your mortality and now start living, that's when life begins. It's like the, 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 the safety teams on football, right? Have you seen the safety teams, you know, like the, the punt return teams? I'm very illiterate. Okay. <laughs> so, so the group that is- I think, it's, I think the ball's not round. That's about okay. as far as All I right. <laughs> So yeah, that's right. So I'll tell you, the, the, the specialty teams in football are the ones that literally throw their bodies around like their, like their little, like their little um, you know, launching pads. They, they are known as the craziest of the crazy group in football. And yet they get hurt the least. You know why? Because they're going 100%. They're not worried about it. If you walk onto the field or you walk into a fight, you think that you might get hurt, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get hurt. But you go in there and your goal is to do whatever, you know, win, whatever it is. My son, Abi, you know, doing one of his, uh, I think he was, it was his second year um, being world ranked. And uh, he had a streak of like 37 fights, uh, spar, sparring rounds and tournaments, A-level or regionals or national levels that he had gone undefeated. He, I mean, he was just, you know, people are coming from different parts of the world, you know, filming him because he's the person to beat. And so he, we go to Panama City, for, and I'm sorry, um, Fort Lauderdale, we were at a, at, a, at a tournament there and Abi loses a match. And the guy he lost to had never won against him before. He'd, he'd fought this guy twice before, but he lost. So we were on the plane going back home and I said, Abi, what was your focus at? He goes, dad, I know, I know. I said, no, tell me, what was your focus at when you were in that fight? He goes, dad, I got it. I know what you're saying. I said, just tell me, give me the words. What was your focus on? And he goes, on, on what it should be. And I said, what, what? Give me the word, what was it? He said, not losing. I said, that's why you lost. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then it was like a light bulb went on. I said, you were focused on not losing. You got to be focused on winning. And whether you win or lose, it doesn't matter. But the fact that you were focused on losing, that's all I wanted to get across to him. And, and the rest of the year, he didn't lose a single match. You know, I mean, I, it's, it's very simple to me. It's like, go in there and have fun. The very first time he, he had that problem, 
we, we had this argument because he was uh, fighting a kid that was phenomenal, really good. And uh, he'd, uh, he'd never won against him. And he, he had this, um, it was at the Nationals in Vegas. And the, and the reason I'm, I'm not reliving my moments with my son here, these are points that I want to make to people understand. And this particular, it was 96 athletes and they have a process of elimination rounds. You know, they have 16 kids in one ring and 16 kids in another ring and 16 kids in another ring. And these are all kids that, that are eligible to fight for the Nationals. So how do you decide with all these kids, which rings you're going to put kids in? Well, they do it on height. They're all the same age group, right? They're like 11 to 14, and they're all first-degree black belts. But they take the t- tallest kids, they line them all up, and the top 16 tallest go in the round one. Next 16, next 16, next 16. So that's how they do it. Well, Abi and the person who had the world title happened to be about the same height. And so whenever they would get into one of these situations, he would always eliminate Abi. And even though Abi was better than 90% of the kids there, he would get eliminated in the first round because he was against this world champion. So it was one of those type of situations. It was very frustrating for him, right? And then uh, the kid's name was Kenny Berger. And I, you know, I can't remember what I had for dinner yesterday, but I can remember this kid's name. To the point that Rahan, my youngest son, when he was three years old or four years old, and Abi was nine, 10 years old, when we would pick Rahan up from school, he would come out towards his bigger brother going, Kenny Berger, Kenny Berger, because he knew that in Abi's head, Kenny Berger was the person to beat, you know, and just couldn't yeah. beat him. So we're at this tournament and it's all lined up. And again, they process the kids and he's in the same ring as Kenny Berger. 97 or 96 athletes in the 16 that Abby's got to deal with, which he can eliminate them, Kenny Berger's in there. So statistically, Kenny Berger is going to eliminate everybody to go on because he was the, world's, he was the world champion. And um, as we're getting closer and closer to the elimination part, you know, Abby does his fights, they're eliminating, and it's coming down to Kenny Berger and Abby, the top two in that ring, to go on to compete with the other rings. And I can see Abby's... I'm looking at him, I'm like, what's wrong, Abby? And he's like, nothing, dad. But you know, the little lip quivers and, and I'm telling my son, just tell me what's wrong. Nothing, dad, nothing. And I said, I can't help you unless you tell me what's wrong. And we're getting really close. It's like going on for 20, 30 minutes. And I've got, there's a picture somebody took and I'm kneeling and I'm looking at him. It looks like I'm yelling at him, but I'm not. I'm looking at him, like begging him, tell me what's wrong. And he says the th- words that no father wants to hear his son say. And he says, I'm scared. And I was like, you don't have to do this. You know, and I grabbed his bag, I grabbed his hand, and we we're like getting ready to walk off. And he pulls back. And I'm like, let's go, Abby. And he pulls back. And I said, You're not, you don't have to fight. And he goes, Dad, I'm not scared of fighting. And I'm like, what are you scared of? Because I'm scared I'm going to disappoint you. And I told him, and this is the lesson for everybody. I told him, I said, look, you could be the worst martial artist on the face of this earth. You could not disappoint me. I made him promise. He's a kid that once he makes a promise, he's going to stay true to those words. I said, promise me that you're going to go in there and you're going to only have one goal, and that's to have fun. Dad, it's a national. I said, I'm telling you right now, either promise me that you're going to have fun or we're going off. But dad, this is the Nationals. I said, promise me, that's all. You are not going to go in there to win or lose. You're just going to go in there to have fun. And we hemmed and hawed and he finally, because I knew once he said yes, he would do that. And he was very reluctant. He said, okay, dad, I'll have fun. He goes in that ring, beat Kenny Rogers, 
five to uh, six to zero. Five is, is what you need to win. He beat him six to zero because he was four to zero, and then he got a kick to the head, got two more points. So it's six to zero. Kenny didn't score on him at all. And Abby was so happy because he hadn't won the Nationals. He just won that tournament because that guaranteed him that he would win the Nationals. He didn't even care at that point. He was done with Kenny Berger. He was that, <laughs> and Kenny Berger came up and he goes, you've gotten really good. But the point is he had fun. He started living, started experiencing. He wasn't worried about the outcome, right? And I had to force him to not worry about the outcome. So stop worrying about the outcome. Whatever the outcome is, it will be. Just start living. And if we live and we live to our, full, to our full, um, fullest potential, we enjoy life, we embrace life, we impart on others information, help, knowledge, you know, a lending hand, whatever it is, that's what life is about. The rest of it, it doesn't matter. I love it. That would be a perfect place to end this conversation, but I do have one more burning <laughs> question for you. I'm like, that's such an amazing mic drop moment. Oh, the end of the episode. But I am curious about one thing, as I'm sure many people are. Uh, this COVID thing is obviously heavily politicized. And it's almost as though now you have kind of more left-leaning people that are in favor of the official narrative, seem to be the most compliant with masks, social distancing, et cetera. Then you have your more, you know, centrian to right-leaning people that are like, huh, what? I'm not going along with this shit. The more freedom-loving libertarian types like myself. Um, And so it begs the question in terms of our leadership, where the Trump administration or him specifically, because I guess his administration is not necessarily full of people that are, you know, supportive of his agendas or ideas, right? There's many people undermining his ideas, whether they be good, bad, right, or wrong. Uh, but it's been interesting to watch his journey as in the very beginning, as I'm sure you know, with um, Robert Kennedy, there was, it looks like some progress toward vaccine safety and things like that. And I asked uh, Robert about that and he said, yeah, I went to the White House, we had a meeting and then it just kind of poof, disappeared. The whole thing was just, it just ghosted. So like, oh, that's interesting because I was hopeful at least about that, um, you know, despite many people's negative opinions of Donald Trump. I thought that was a cool sign. Even if it was the only one, that was great. Um, then when this thing hit, it seems to me, and I'm not particularly uh, you know, politically savvy or knowledgeable, but I did start paying attention over the last four years because things have gotten much different, uh, to say the least. But it's like, it seems like to me, just reading body language and reading the room, that he's kind of just going along with the narrative like as much as he has to, to not get vilified. And then he goes and defunds uh, the WHO, which are obviously incredibly compromised, conflicts of interest out the yin-yang, not trustworthy by my estimation. Uh, And then I thought, well, that's a positive move because I'm thinking about this next election and how things are going to, um, how this situation is going to be affected, go one way or the other. Many people call this, um, you may or may not have heard this, the... uh, the election infection in terms to COVID because it does seem timely. Oh, here comes, you know, the next opportunity for this guy to get elected. We better rock the boat. Uh, Then after defunding the WHO, which I thought was quite positive, I don't know if this is true and maybe you do. It's kind of my question. Then someone said, yeah, that doesn't matter. But then he funneled all this money into Gavi, which is, you know, in relation to Bill Gates and maybe worse or as bad as the WHO. So, you know, in a nonpartisan way, what's your, or in any way, what's your perspective politically on 
how this could play out if he's at the helm versus someone else. I mean, do you think he's kind of going to be on the right side of history of this as a president or is he on board with the agenda? Well, I think that he is on the right side of history. Um, that was actually prophesized before he even became president, interestingly enough. And it has been prophesized as far back as 100 years. If you read the books, The Last President, they were written by, I think the name of the author is Livingston. But you can go to YouTube and these books are there and they go through some just really weird books written 100 years ago about a guy by the name of Don, who is a president. And it's, it's, it's actually the, um, the travels of Baron Trump. So it's about his son, Baron. What? Yeah. It's about his son, oh. Baron, that uh, has his father, who's a president, guide him through these time machines through a portal in Russia. And um, I mean, they're such, they, they live in a house uh, adorned with, it's not called Trump Towers, it's called Trump. Um, they, they have a term for it, but it's not, it's not the towers like a palace or something, but it's, it's adorned with, I think it's silver instead of gold. And anyway, it's just, just go and do the search on YouTube. You'll find it. It's, it's fascinating, but I will, I will um, say this, that what happened with Bobby and with the president, I think was part and parcel because you have to understand that President Trump does not know who he can trust and who he, who he can. And I believe that there was, it was, a, it was a, maybe a test to see where he could, you know, how much line should he give him, uh, give Bobby. Um, and again, you know, Bobby's like a Clinton, friend of Clinton's and Bobby's been attacked for that. I, I know Bobby better than most people know him. And I can tell you that he has sacrificed a tremendous amount personally, you know, professionally, but even among his own family members. So Bobby's truly um, a warrior on this path. But I don't think Trump knew that or, or was maybe testing it. He wasn't so sure. He, he just, he, you know, again, he doesn't know. He's been, he doesn't know who he can rely on. He can't. All I can tell you is that I think something's going to happen in October. I, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen in October. I can't, I don't have my crystal ball. I'm not Dr. Fauci. You can look in the crystal ball and tell you there's going to be a surprise <laughs> pandemic. But um, or, I have or some- Or Neil Ferguson. Yeah, exactly. Kind <laughs> of a, a faulty computer model exactly. to tell the future. Exactly. Um, but I can tell you that it appears that there's going to be something that's going to happen in October. Um, it appears so because I've been contacted already about this. And I don't want to put it out in the world because it's, 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 a, it's a planned it's something that's planned. But if it happens, the world will truly know what is on the forefront of the president's mind when it comes to vaccines. He used this on his platform. Now, I've never had a conversation with the president. So I've had many conversations with his family members and such. But I, I, I have never had a conversation with the president. I can tell you that his platform, if you go back and listen to his speeches, he talked about how 
autism was related to vaccines. I remember that. Yeah, it was very outspoken about I, it. Th- th- there was that that I was shocked by. And then he also uh, talked about declassifying a bunch of the 9-11 exactly. uh, reports. And John F. Kennedy assassination yeah. and patents and yes. Yeah, and at that point I was like, this guy is awesome. And then things just got really confusing. You know, well, that. you know, I, I used to think um, that President Trump, when he used to talk about how intelligent he was, I'd say, well, kind of, you know, this guy's just a goofball. But I really do believe that he's playing three-dimensional chess right now. And there is a, no matter what anybody says, you can't have gotten as successful as he did unless you're an intelligent person. But he's in the middle of the worst incestuous cesspool you can imagine and having to traverse that labyrinth of deceit and lies and misinformation. And um, I think he's just, biding his time the right way. Think about it for a second. If he comes out and says vaccines aren't the right answer, 60, I'm sorry, no, uh, 80% of the country still thinks vaccines are effective. Whether this vaccine or not, overall, they think vaccines are effective. Now, if he were to say right off the bat, we're not going to do a vaccine, he would basically, whether they support him or not, 80% of the population would be like, this president's an idiot. He's crazy even though he's right. So he's got to make sure that it's well-positioned and well-timed. But you look at him. He won't wear a face mask. He talks about taking hydroxychloroquine himself. He says, oh, but we're making great progress on the vaccines, you know? But not everybody's going to want a vaccine, you know? So he's, he's playing his cards, right? <laughs> That's kind of what I get. Yeah. That's kind of what I get. It's, yeah. it's really interesting because... At times, they'll say things that I think are quite hopeful. Again, just being objective. I'm not, dude, I've never voted in my life. Like, I, I don't think I ever, I mean, I live in California, so there's no point. It's going to go one way anyway, but mm. I'm not a political person. But I do observe just from a historical relevance because we're in such an unprecedented time. And over the course of his running and being elected, he said quite a few things. So I was like, wait, what did he just say? And the vaccine related to autism, presidents don't admit that. You know, so there's been things like that and the chemtrails stopping when he yep. got elected. I'm like, what the hell? But then it's the three or four D chess thing where he's like, yeah, we got to get everyone vaccinated. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And funding Gavi and these things. I'm like, well, wait, is he like a I, double agent or what is going well, on here? It's interesting because when that vaccine thing happened, when you talked about the 100 million vaccines by December and 200 million by January, and I talked to uh, the person that I talked to, the advisor to the president who had reached out to me in April, and uh, I said, what the hell? And he just kind of laughed, you know? And he said, just, when's the election? He's <laughs> like, November 2nd. He goes, anything else you want me to answer for you? <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So, well, that's hopeful. Yeah. But that's hopeful. We, let's see what happens in October. Yeah. Um, there's some interesting things that I have, that information that's been shared with me that um, I have shared some things, but then, you know, with, with the public and then the rest, I'm thinking, if somebody's telling me something, they haven't said, don't say it. But at the same time, you know, I don't know if it's really going to happen or not going to happen, but I can, I know where my inclination is, what, what, what I, what I seem to, you know, things, truth resonates, right? And so what, what's going to happen in October will be very interesting, I think. And it will be, there will be a potential for whatever happens after the election, I think we're going to be in a better place on the planet. And if we if I'm wrong, there's a chance I'm wrong. 1% chance I'm wrong. You know, 
it's it's <laughs> mankind is not going to be mankind anymore. Let's put it that way. Because our the genetic makeup that makes us humans within the next two generations will be changed and altered by this RNA vaccine that's going to go in and rewrite our DNA. That's, you know, no matter what anybody says, that's the fact. Um, but if I'm right, we're going to be in a much better place and a place of abundance and tolerance and truth. And we will have exposed the planet, you know, all the, all the indecencies of the planet. And, um, I think we'll, we'll find out that we're in a very different world. I mean, you know, I think that spacecraft and stuff and, you know, there'll be all sorts of things that we weren't even aware of that that's always been here. We didn't even know about it. Yeah. So I think it'll be a very different world. And for those people that say, what the hell are you talking about? Are you crazy? Just think about one year ago where we were. Would anybody have thought that we were in this place where everybody's wearing masks? Nobody would have thought that. So where we are in another year, it's totally our choice. Either we're in a better world or we're in a world where humanity is going to be extinct in the next two to three generations. And it's our choice and it's up to us to rise. Awesome. All right. I already asked you my closing question of three, uh, three teachers. So you, I'm going to let you buy that one. And uh, I just want to ask you where people can find your work, your membership programs, social media, websites, uh, your, your clinic, your programs, anything you want to plug now would be the time and we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, People can just do a search under Dr. Buttar for all the social media platforms. Um, AskDrButar.com forward slash ask is where you can get registered and start getting our emails, get information, get free access to the head map tool that I was talking about. It's 100% free to anybody that wants to use it forever. It's uh, been valued at $300 each time you take the test by a third-party independent actuarial analyst out of California, actually. Um, but we've turned it over to be free. We've got over 127,000 people that have used it all over the world from 93 different countries. So if you think you want to use that tool, go check it out. It's completely free. You get the free dashboard. You have many different resources and webinars and stuff you can watch. Uh, so ask Dr. Buttar, just D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R, askdrbuttar.com forward slash ask. And you'll have uh, ample resources and information, cancer, autism, stroke, heart disease, a lot of resources that we give people. I don't care whether they ever come to us or not. I really, literally, honestly, don't care whether they ever come to us. In fact, I need another patient like I need a hole in my head. What I do want is for people to become empowered. And that information will empower you wherever you go, wherever you choose to you know, seek treatment or, or care. Um, and oftentimes you may find you don't need care. You don't need to go to a doctor. And uh, it's just providing people with information. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, I'm glad we got to sit down in person this time. I always have a much better time. Your interview is great. We did on Zoom, but there's just something about sharing space with someone and looking forward to hanging out more this week and at lovely Queeksmala. I mean, it's probably impossible to have a bad time here. <laughs> so. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, this place is, you know, I just want to talk about this place for a second because yeah. at the conference that we're going to have, which was supposed to be this week, actually, but we decided to put it off. Um, there's something special about this place. And it's not because it's got biodynamic farming, even though that just blows my mind. I didn't even know what biodynamic dynamic farming was. But, and it's not because it's so beautiful, which it is. And it's not because of the uh, people here, because they're awesome people. But it's not because of that. There's something else. And the synchronicities that have come and that, I, that have confirmed that for me just in the last few days, even just getting here and how we weren't going to be here. As of Tuesday, we weren't going to be here. And Thursday morning, we were here. Um, they, it indicated to me that there was something else, some other reason that I had to be here 
And now being here, I can tell you that you cannot understand the significance of this place on an energetic level until you've experienced it. I think you would concur with me. Oh, absolutely. And I would strongly encourage anybody that is considering coming to do yourself a favor and come because it's going to be, it's going to be an amazing time, especially when you get, you know, just with a few of us with like-mindedness, you, you can see what's happening, but yeah. And it's this place, it's this place is a, it's, it's a harmonic of this place that's resonating at a very high level. And those of you, those people out there that have followed me, they know that I had all sorts of exotic animals, eland and zebra. And this place has, you know, a huge herd of 55 zebra and eland that has no significance to the energetic of this place. And yet it does because it's, it was calling to me, right? And it was calling to me because everybody has a different reason for the callings, but each one of these things was bringing it home for me that this is an important place for me to come visit. And now having met some of the key people here, um, meeting the, uh, I don't even know what her title is, general manager. um, Michaela is an incredible person, but her introduction is with the owners and just the chemistry that's been occurring here uh, is phenomenal. And I think that anybody would anybody who's considering taking a vacation anytime, anywhere, this should be the place you come to if you value the energetics. I mean, if you want a beach, beautiful beach, you can go to Cancun. But if you want to have a true vacation for the soul, this is a place you need to go. Yeah, I agree. The only thing, there's one thing I, I don't use the word hate often, but I'm going to use it here. There's one thing I hate about this place. And I'm just going to admit, I'll be honest. Leaving? Leaving? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's like last time when I was here last year and I left, we got in the, you know, the van to go to the airport and I was just like, oh, I feel heavy. What's up? I'm like, cause I felt so at home and, and then, yeah. and, you know, for those of us that are tapped in and pick up on those subtle energies. It's yeah. just, especially like someone, I've been living in a city for so long. When I get to a place like this, the contrast is just insane. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything for you, Seth, because you come from LA, man. That's... <laughs> could go almost anywhere. <laughs> you go to Kansas and you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> anyway, man, thanks again for joining Thank me. You. Look forward to hanging out this week and uh, seeing you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Yep. If you're hearing my voice right now, it means either you had the curiosity or the courage to follow through with this probably triggering conversation. If you're someone who's really bought into the fear-mongering of the mainstream media and the censorship of big tech, I know this might have been hard information to hear. I want to encourage you to think critically and continue to do your research. And Dr. Buttar, despite his brazen warrior-like energy, is a highly decorated and competent MD. Dr. Buttar specializes in the needs of patients with immune dysfunctions and toxicity issues, usually manifesting in various conditions such as cancer, heart disease, autism, and more. Many of the patients that come to his centers have been refractory to conventional medical treatments. In the past, Dr. Buttar was extensively involved in polypeptide research and development of innovative drug delivery mechanisms. He has lectured worldwide to physicians, been featured on national and international news media, including TV, radio, and newspapers, and has testified in front of the North Carolina State Congress, as well as the U.S. Congressional Subcommittee on Human Rights and Wellness at the federal level. Dr. Buttar has served at the highest level of leadership in a number of different medical societies in the past, including six years as president of the North Carolina Integrative Medical Society as well as the chairman of the American Board of Clinical Metal Toxicity for eight years. Dr. Buttar also served as faculty to teach conventional medical courses such as advanced trauma life support through the American College of Surgeons, 
as well as the PALS and ACLS for over 20 years and has been ranked as one of the top 50 doctors in the U.S. since 2003 by Phillips Publishing, Dr. Stephen Sinatra, and Healthy Solutions, Inc. Dr. Buttar's first book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, became a Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon bestseller, and is now an international bestselling book translated into multiple languages. So Dr. Buttar is, uh, you know, he's no slouch. He knows his stuff, and I think that was apparent by some of the research that he shared with us during this episode. So I just wanted to give him credit and let you know that uh, he's a real doctor, the real deal. And uh, I would do further research and not take his claims and point of view lightly. He's one that's been brave enough to speak out about this issue from the beginning, despite much blowback. And he just keeps on pushing for the truth. And I respect that very much and encourage you to do the same. Now, on a lighter note, let's talk about next week's episode, The Ultimate Water Show filter and alkaline myths and the miracle seawater solution of the century with Robert Slovak. That one was also recorded down at Quixmala. And uh, if you're someone who's been curious about the right water filters, what's the best water to drink, your bathing water, all that stuff, (laughs) next week's show is going to blow your mind. That's Robert Slovak next Tuesday. Let's go ahead and thank our sponsors here. And I'll be straight up with you, without our sponsors supporting the show, all the travel, equipment, editing, production, uh, these shows would not happen. So it means a lot to me that you guys continue to support our amazing sponsors. Uh, I know that you like to get content for free, just like me, and I'm happy to keep delivering it in that way. But man, I just want to tell you, it is extremely supportive and helpful when you guys buy the products that I recommend on the show. That's what keeps this train on the rails. So let's give them a big round of applause. First up, beekeepersnaturals.com. That's beekeepersnaturals.com for the best bee products in the freaking world. The discount code there is lifestylist. That gets you 15% off. And for some amazingly powerful and innovative medicinal mushrooms, go to lifecycle.com. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. Code there is story15 for 15% off. Last but not least, mmm, yum, chocolate, cacao bliss from Mindful Health. You can get this powdered herbal elixir with ceremonial grade cacao. It's absolutely delicious. I go through this stuff like it's nothing. Go to earthechofoods.com slash Luke Story. The code there is Luke15, which gets you 15% off. And remember, you can get all of these products at lukestory.com slash store, and all the discount codes are there for you too. Now, the last thing I want to say to you is if you hear things on the show that you want to remember, things that you want to validate, vet, look up, you know, Dr. Buttar gave a lot of information in this show. I'm sure you're wanting to go, is that really true? Where do I find that out? You know, if you want to be a fact checker, if you want to do more research, I highly encourage that. It's all about learning and relearning and opening our minds and gaining more information. So if you want the transcripts, and the bulleted linked show notes from every episode. I highly recommend you get on my newsletter. I don't spam you. I don't share your information. I'm very respectful. My newsletter is highly coveted and it's highly personal. So if you want to get an email every Tuesday with all of the information from the show you're about to listen to, here's what you do. Go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. lukestory.com slash newsletter. Or if you don't want to use your browser, just shoot me a text on any U.S. phone. Text the word lifestylist, all one word, lifestylist, to the number 44222. That's lifestylist to the number 44222. All right, we're out. 
I'll be back next week with the Ultimate Water Show featuring Robert Slovak. Thanks for joining me today. <laughs>